0: Hello and welcome to the TetraCast. I am Brian Vitale and joining me today are George Foster. Hello. James Galizio. Hello, guys. And Adam Vitale. Hey, y'all. It's another week in February, but despite it being like a slower month, like we mentioned throughout the podcast, this week we actually have quite a fair bit to talk about. Uh, We have some new games that we've been playing, some uh, new recent Fire Emblem DLC. Uh, We've got some new previews from stuff that's come up earlier in the month. Uh, up on the website we've got you know, some new impressions from fantasy Star beta george has a new review up and uh, josh who's not on the cast today put up some grand blue stuff so it's actually been a surprisingly busy month so i'm no longer going to start introducing these talking about how slow or little to talk about there is because there's actually quite a lot all right so we're going to roll right into the first section of the podcast which is just what we've been playing and obviously the the release of this week is a DLC pack for Fire Emblem Three Houses. It's the last bit of the expansion pass, Cindered Shadows, which introduces the um, the Ashen Wolves, the fourth house of the uh, monastery of the group. So I've been playing this and I know Adam's been playing it. Uh, what are your thoughts so far? Yeah, so uh,
1: I've put in a good bit of time into it. Um, just, I guess, maybe I'll just step back and explain how it works for people who may not know. Right. So it's this expansion, st- uh, the first thing you would do is it's a side story. So it's accessed separately on the main menu, uh, and it's sort of a, it's got they have their own save slots and everything for this expansion storyline. So basically, if you want to experience these new characters, the first thing you do is you do the side story. and uh, this will be uh, a separate file where you go through a series of levels, basically introducing the abyss part of the monastery where these four characters hang out and has been hinted at in previous updates and things like that. Um, and then this side story is literally that. It's kind of this uh, extra storyline featuring these four characters. You get a quick introduction to them. They have their own little conflict that you work through in the game. And basically how it differs from the main game is that un- not uh, instead of having the the calendar system that the main game uses, Instead, it's more of a, a linear progression of levels, more similar to classic Fire Emblem, where you just go from level to level. But there is, you do get to walk around the abyss a little bit in between some of the different maps that you do and talk with the characters and things like that. But in the side story, there's no like supports or uh, calendar stuff or monastery stuff like that. Um, now, to be quite honest, the side story itself is not incredibly substantial. It it touches on a little bit of lore, uh, not to spoil. I won't spoil anything for people who haven't played it yet. But there's really not that much to spoil. It touches on a little bit more of Violet's, uh past, uh, his or her parents, and there's a little bit of a which conflict is kind story of it's introduced that. like
0: the broad strokes are given to you if you play all of the paths. But this is just a little bit more on yeah. top. It it kind of right. feels like when I was playing through the side story that it was. It's, it's important enough to not feel absolutely throw away, but at the same time, it kind of feels insignificant in the same sense. It's a very hard balancing act where it's like this side story. One thing that's even weird about it is that it's not even a hundred percent clear, like when it takes place, like there's, there's a, there's an earliest possible moment. Like it can't have taken place before the right of rebirth. And I, the latest possible moment obviously is like before the time skip, the big, you know, dramatic events. But when you're the, The side story part is really only kind of half the DLC, because then once you play through these linear chapters, just almost like an old school Fire Emblem progression, uh, just chapter to chapter with a very brief break between them, then you go basically import that into your main file. You start a new file and then starting very early on, chapter two, you get these new characters and the classes that are assigned to them and the abyss area and a few different mechanics tied to that into your main game. But it glosses over the actual events of the side story, so it's weird because it's like, when does it take place? Well, it's it's kind of insignificant; it doesn't really matter, which is yeah, I think absolutely. fine. But it, it is a bit weird.
1: But before we're going about the other part of the DLC, I will say like the maps. So I just played this on normal mode just the first time through. They talked about before release how these maps are going to be maybe a little bit more challenging, a little bit more gimmicky. They they were not they're not too gimmicky. Um, there's a couple of switches and levers and things like that. Um, but I could see, and I've seen some other people mention how these maps are a little bit more challenging if you play them on hard mode, because you don't you you can't you don't get the option to grind. You you aren't building up your characters. You're not choosing your cast that you get to play as. You get a certain set cast that you that you have to work with, and it's more like a puzzle, like figuring out how to beat these maps with these characters you're given. Um, so that's kind of an interesting twist on on the gameplay that the rest of the game has it's kind of its own well actually
0: like obviously one of the previous additions was that maddening mode which is kind of like unfair hard mode but it sort of has to be because these games nowadays have these additions where it's like you can grind in this fashion you can specialize in this fashion you can make the game as easy as easy as possible within these constraints where this playing ashen wolves dlc side story on hard mode almost feels like classic like hector's hard mode from the uh, games that before they introduced a lot of these kind of more modern uh, systems at play where it allowed you to really kind of grind or progress beyond the means of the of the level design it's instead very focused or it's like you get these characters we know how much exp the player has had at this point even from like a design standpoint on the developer side i would think so i also played through this on normal mode but i'm actually kind of curious to try it on hard mode because I've heard, I've seen people compare it to maddening mode, but I think the reason why it feels like that is because they they know exactly how much exp you have and what what tools you have available. You, okay, you have these units, there are these classes, they've got and these also you can't, things like you can't even improve them. So,
1: and things like what gambits you have, you know, it's all preset. So, so I would think like, that, that
0: would be conducive to really designing like, okay, we know that there is a solution to this puzzle that's more involved and bespokely designed than just gaining enough exp in the, in the random battles and the, until you're strong enough where you have the leeway to just kind of roll through
1: yep so but really though this dlc the part that i think is more interesting to me is how once you've kind of completed the side story it's just a done deal then you can load up one of the main routes of the game in the main game and basically these characters and the abyss are all incorporated into the main game. You can recruit them pretty early on, too. And these four characters, Yuri, Balthus, Constance, and Happy, they all have their own supports, not with, not only with each other, but with other characters. And I think the coolest thing about it is that they feel like they belong. They don't just feel like... Like, Anna doesn't have any supports, and she kind of just clearly looks like an extra she character. She does feel like a Yeah, yeah. But like, for example, um, these four characters have supports with existing cast members, and it actually. So, Fire Emblem Three Houses in general, one thing I think one thing I think it does especially well is its world building and how that world relates to our cast. Like, everyone is from a different place and has a different situation in this world in the lore, and um, I think these new characters fit into that, and they they're not like filling obvious gaps that were there before or anything like that, but they just kind of, they're, they're, they're relatively seamlessly uh, incorporated into the lore of the world. Like just to have uh, for talking about supports, two examples, for instance, um, Yuri has a support with Bernadetta and I won't spoil it. uh, But there, the relationship that Yuri has with Bernadetta is actually something that stems from other support conversations that Bernadetta has. So it's, basically fitting into that and extrapolating on it and so it it doesn't feel like it's just an additional thing that came out of nowhere it's like oh so that's how it works with how these how these characters are related
0: i I was just going to talk about how constance and mercedes have a relationship in the past but as far as i understand that's not really hinted at it's just kind of like well that's kind of where they're from the same area because constance is also obviously has a history with edelgard and um then balthus knows hilda hilda's brother holst which i'm surprised hasn't been like a dlc character with how much attention he kind of gets in various supports and then with claude so they kind of give you like no matter which of the routes that you pick uh these characters will integrate to some fashion
1: mm-hmm. and also of course mechanically um these these four characters in the uh, in the side story they're their own unique classes uh, you have or cleric that's Balthus. you have trickster that's uh, yuri yeah, Valkyrie, that's happy, and then you have Darkfire, which is Constance. and these four unit types are brand new unit types. Maybe some similarities with previous unit types, like for example, the Valkyrie is a is a Mage Knight, but more like a classic Mage Knight rather than the master class like Holy Knight or or um or Dark Knight. Dark Knight. Yeah, but um, when you bring these into the main game. The way you get these classes are a little bit different. You use a different seal, but practically speaking, anybody can be these classes, and so you can. It's basically just more options for your character building for your for your team. And uh, thing like the dark flyer, for instance, has a, kind of its own unique uh, utility in the game. It's a flying unit that uses magic. No other unit in the game does that, so that's kind of a cool wrinkle in like how you're building a team and you're building your party. And it doesn't have to be one of these DLC characters to become that class. Uh, I think the flying unit is female only like any of the Pegasus Knights, but, uh, any character that has like
0: flying that, that is well-suited to flying or magic could be that class, uh, like flame for instance. So and then one of the, uh, one of the, um, kind of complaints, well, not really a complaint, that's stating it too strongly, but the master classes are all like horseback basically almost all of them with the exception of like the mortal savant and the, and the Gremory. So these aren't like master classes; they're their own, the, they're like their own tier, but it is kind of just cool just to see the variety added. And then these four characters, they're almost integrated, like old school, the pre like path of radiance or so, where you get like a cast of characters, but only a very small subset of them would actually participate in the main through line of the story. Where obviously in the last, you know, 15 years or so, that's not really been the case. But that's what these four feel like, where their supports are integrated. The, you'll have NPCs in the monastery, mentioned the Abysians or whatever. or And then even like sometimes, very, not often, but sometimes they'll, the characters will show up in the monastery, in the garden or other areas uh, as, you know, with their own lost items and things like that. So I think they're kind of integrated to the best extent that they could be yeah. without like feeling like that... If they were to even if they were to somehow be even more fully integrated where they started to play a key role in the narrative then you start wondering like wait I had to this was an extra right but but now it's it feels like it's become essential and then you run into like other uh, examples of games where they hid very crucial story related DLC like I think of um Prince of Persia 08 which kind of came back I saw a few people talking about it because of the Prince of Persia like escape room that was announced. And then uh, there's other uh, classic examples like Asura's Wrath, which hid like, story-relevant uh, DLC behind, behind DLC. Um, but this doesn't feel like that. This feels like a very smart, significant, but not crucial addition to the game, yeah. which is yeah, it feels the only, rewarding to play through again with these. Yeah,
1: the only criticism about how it's implemented that I could maybe see people having is if they've already like exhausted all the routes. It's like, now in order to see this new support content, between these characters which is building world building and lore and people love lore of course um is that you kind of have to replay it to see these characters but i think it also just that's i think that's sort of just uh, uh inevitable <laughs> the way that this game works but if you have only played like a couple of the routes and you still have a couple of routes left to play it's cool that now these characters can be joined in as you play them and so i don't feel like it doesn't feel like these characters were uh like you like you're alluding to like cut out to be made dlc they feel like they are additions and not
0: necessary to have
1: like they don't feel like the difference between
0: necessary and the difference between necessary and sufficient where this doesn't cross the line it feels like i'm having a lesser experience without these it's more like just having a better experience with them and then obviously the way the game is designed uh not everyone and i assume very few people have already played all four yeah spoiler there are four routes uh so basically the way because there's going to be some sort of new board to new character integration with a support or whatever if you've got a route they haven't played through yet well now this is kind of giving you the perfect incentive to do that which does also kind of remind me the um I saw Kite Steinbach who contributes to the site translating an interview from I believe it was Famitsu about one of the directors of the game talking about the route design and how the reason that they went with this is because they didn't want to codify any one route as the correct quote-unquote canon true route that's actually because yeah because um then what you do i don't think they worded it quite like this but this is kind of my interpretation is that if you make one route the correct route then by necessity you're making three routes incorrect which sounds obvious but i think that's kind of a crucial point where now it's like there is no invalidation in terms of this is correct because someone declared it to be so instead you kind of have your own you have to come up with a more whether it's a personal reason or whether it's an emotional reason about i think that this route makes the most sense to me it it, i think the story makes the most sense in this way or even it might just be like i relate the most to this lord and the the way that they what they prioritize and what they motivate like um is obviously kind of Uh, The most out there and different. She's a very unique sort of protagonist. Claude is probably the most like traditional, like he feels like a Fire Emblem Lord like archetype. And then um, Dimitri is kind of a very like personal different sort of story. Uh, And that that might be my personal favorite is the Blue Lion's Path, but you can't go wrong. And then this addition here was so smartly done that each character like Balthus will have a relationship with Claude and Constance has a relationship with Edelgard. So whichever one you haven't gotten to yet or enjoy the most and are willing to replay, you're going to get something out of it. So I think it's I think it's all smartly done and I I wouldn't change how they've designed the system in general or how the way this DLC kind of um, attaches to it.
1: But yeah, I think both from like a character standpoint and most of these characters are pretty good. Like, I think Yuri especially is like a really interesting character. He's kind of like a, like a do-gooder rogue. Like he's, he acts mysterious and cool, but he's, but through some of his support conversations you see that he's like actually got like a really good heart. Um, some characters like happy, I don't really get yet, but you know, there's maybe more supports with her to maybe flesh out who she is. But I think like from that standpoint, it's pretty cool. And also just the mechanics of having new classes that you can now use to build your team is cool. The DLC also adds a few other like extra bonuses. For example, there's a new quest where you do some quick fetch quest and you get like a roster. And it makes, for example, it makes uh it makes doing the T times easier. It'll actually let you know if you're about to click like the wrong choice. Like maybe you should rethink that. So it makes it so you're more likely to do well on your T times. You know, it's just kind of we a, talked oh, a little yeah.
0: bit about the difficulty and how like maddening mode has to be unfair in order to be challenging, and this edition kind of further goes in that direction. Like, for instance, I think most people who are playing new game pluses have a pool of you know that renown, which is the resource that you spend uh, on all sorts of things, support conversations or um uh, weapon skills. But now it's like you can trade your renowns for weapons. So one of the first things I did on my current New Game Plus run, which I'm actually kind of eager to get back to because uh, I'm in the middle of it at the moment, is I got all my sword users rapiers. I think you can get like three from the new area starting at like chapter yeah. two. That's so another, that's like another thing, thing with
1: the DLC added is that you can spend renown
0: to buy like special weapons. Right, which is like just another example of how the game really kind of gives you a whole bunch of tools to try to minimize the um the challenge. Definitely. but yeah. the thing is is i think i think it is bound. like obviously if you're playing through normal mode on new game plus it's not going to be difficult at all but that's that's why maddening mode is kind of set up the way it is where it, it kind of has to be like unfairly difficult in order to be difficult at all and then of you course so you many kind of be, tools right yeah. and that's also yeah. why they give you the big reward the big reward for defeating the game on maddening mode on a new game plus, not a new game plus file on a base new game file is a new um artwork and this was added up uh, this was added, you know, with the recent or the previous update. It's not really an artwork; but it's I, more uh, just
1: like a different color.
0: Yeah, but so obviously, you're not going to have that renown to spend if if that's kind of the the carrot that you're chasing in terms of beating the game on a on a challenging difficulty. Uh, then you're not going to be able to benefit directly. Though obviously, you still will get the um, you won't have the renown to spend, but you will get the new characters and classes. I did think it was weird. This is the, this is this is kind of specific, but one thing that I think I would change is that. The difference between black magic and dark magic in this game both being under that reason skill i think is weird because i had to kind of like remind myself like wait doesn't doesn't the valkyrie art exist oh it's a dark you know rider or whatever they call it and it's only available it's yeah it's only available to male classes and with that dark seal that you can only get a specific way but um like characters whatever whatever a character can cast as their reason spell whether it's hubert as a sage or as a dark rider or lorenz or whoever it's going to be the same and then like lysithia can cast some dark magic but she can't be the dark classes because it's all like nested under reason i feel like if this system was going to be followed up on i would delineate those two more directly which is kind of yeah. was in the in the gba games you had dark magic right. uh animal magic and light magic and I may, maybe just for ease of organization, they kind of they pulled the two together under reason, but I think I, I think you could kind of benefit some class differentiation if you split those out again, because they're already doing that on the classes, now they just do it on the skills. That's kind of a, a footnote, but when yeah. I had to kind of remind myself, like, how is this Valkyrie different from what we already have? Oh, it's because it's not specifically white magic like the Holy Knight, and it's not specifically dark magic. It just overlaps, which is interesting. Yeah. But like I said, it's good to have those classes that are in addition to the limited range of master classes, and three of them are Odysseyum. Well, and CM. and like the war,
1: the war Monk or War Cleric is actually kind of interesting because it's it's like a, a unique combination. It's, it's like a brawler type, but can use faith magic. And for example, like Constance, uh, she is like canonically the dark flyer, but she has like a budding talent in brawling. Um, I don't know what she is for but, like, for instance, uh, if you wanted to, you could have her, like, learn brawling and faith, magic she's good with, uh, or skills she's good with, and have her become a war cleric. And that's kind of, like, an interesting combination of, you know, like a front, a, a, uh, like a high HP front front field brawler that can heal. So, right, kind of and, cool like, like Balthus,
0: at least, at least my, I think Balthus, if I remember right, has like, the up arrows for those, like, he's good in the magic, but my my maybe this i have to I don't know his growths, obviously if you really want to dig in, you could go to the, the wikis or the sirens forest or whatever, but he's not like I don't plan on really using his magic, even though like if you yeah. wanted to make him the class that he's codified as i don't I think he'd still just be he'd pretty much just be the same as a war master or whatever like I don't think I'd use the magic that much uh but obviously these classes aren't locked down to these four characters like trickster obviously even in the patch notes they kind of described how like that would be a good fit for Ana. Anna and yeah. she's even got her uh, unique. Um, I think uh, people
1: were actually kind of surprised because like this game had been data mined and people knew with these classes before they were revealed and people saw right. the trickster and then Anna was revealed and people assumed that that's her natural class like that's the class she's been like the 3DS games, but she wasn't the trickster so it, it was it kind of felt a little awkward that she wasn't it and then now they're like oh if the trickster class is now here and also if you make Anna a trickster she has like it's like it's like her classic costume or whatever um not too different from like how Yuri looks in the trickster class but that's kind of basically saying okay like, hey, she she works well for it to be
0: a trickster and like you said flame would be a good holy flyer or whatever, dark flyer or whatever they call it yeah um, she
1: she can do flying and uh magic so works for her
0: like if if the thing what this DLC feels like to me is if 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 you kind of asked just a general fan 10 years ago what would dlc for a Moon game look like i think you'd pretty typically answer like oh you'd probably add a few characters and a few classes with them and that's kind of what this is so like at its foundation this isn't really surprising but i just think its implementation and its execution is is pretty darn good uh except yeah. for the fact that i will say that the side story itself kind of just feels like a um it feels like a hurdle that you just overcome to unlock it and then i don't really see a lot of motivation to play that again yeah standalone it's chapter chapter it's short i just don't see a lot of reason to go back to it i
1: think uh fire emblem echoes one of its dlcs was like so that game was a little bit different because it had dungeons and so you like go through a dungeon with several series of battles within a dungeon and it was basically just a new dungeon and it worked for what it was, but it was, sort of felt like the side story Or in this game, where it was just kind of like an extraneous thing. I guess maybe that's what, how you, maybe you would want a DLC to be kind of ext- more extraneous, like, like that, but I don't know. I mean, the, the the one thing I could see about redoing the side story, if I wanted to play it again, was like if I wanted to play it on hard mode to basically challenge myself, to, like, okay, I, I kind of blitzed through it on normal mode and it was not hard at all. Um, but maybe just try it on hard mode in this sort of limited setting where you can't grind, you can't buy a million weapons. Uh, see how I can see how you fare just literally for the challenge of it.
0: Yeah. And we kind of already touched on how it could be a well-designed challenge, but then it's more just personally motivated. Uh, but I'm, I'm eager to get back to it. And it's for me and my uh, position, I had one more route left to play through. So that's kind of, this is the perfect excuse to go, go do it. And then, I don't want to say shelve the game but then I, I will have seen the four routes i will have seen the additions i don't think any more are really planned i think this is kind of like the um the high water mark for yeah, in terms of what this 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 is the last bit so uh it's kind of interesting to think about what intelligent systems might be working on now uh obviously this game was a collaboration with uh koei tecmo um but it's, i think it's a perfect addition to kind of give the game a new life you know, half a year after release or more and more. Give, it, give us reason to talk about it early 2020. All right. So I think that wraps up our thoughts on Cindered Shadows. Uh, George, you recently just put up a review for something that you've been playing, kind of an unheralded release for February. Uh, Snack World, the Dungeon Crawl. I don't know much about this game. Uh, and I don't think many people do. So can you just kind of give us an introduction of
2: who, this, what this is, who made it and everything about it? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, so I've, I've been reviewing it for the site. Um, I gave it a 7 out of 10, which was a good score. I, I did enjoy my time with it. It has some issues. Um, so Snack World uh, is a multimedia franchise in Japan that we're now only just seeing uh, outside of there from Level 5. Uh, so Level 5 made Layton, Yoko Watch. Um, and it's really going to be a game that flies under a lot of people's radar. Uh, it hasn't had much advertising i hadn't even heard of it before we were sent the review code well, it's kind of it's kind uh, of nice that, that it landed shame.
0: in um it landed in february where it kind of has a chance to be noticed and not just be absolutely you know covered up by larger bigger more loud releases so i think it's a good window for it even though oh, you wow, think absolutely. it still has a chance of kind of
2: falling through the cracks uh so i i think because the review reception so far has been quite middling um well, like, good good reviews, I, I don't think anyone could ever call it a bad game, uh, but the reception so far, I think it's still going to fall through the cracks a bit, uh, which is a shame, because it is really good fun. So it's a, it's a um, dungeon
1: crawler? Like, is it action combat?
2: Uh, yeah, it's a dungeon crawler uh, with action combat, and the combat is actually uh, one of the strongest points of it. So you you use uh, these weapons called Jaras, uh, which, which are just normal weapons, they just give it a different name for the universe. Uh, and you go down into these dungeons looking for treasure, uh, beating bosses, defeating enemies, uh, and the combat feels really like crunchy, but the twist to it is that you only have a certain uh, amount is of... Is that a food like, pun scavenate. that you're going there? <laughs> oh, I didn't even mean to do so, that one either. Oh, my uh, God.
0: So uh, <laughs> some background for the listeners. So all throughout this week, George has been uh, inundating our group chat with uh, food-related puns as he's played through this. And now he talks about how crunchy this game feels. Uh, so how like how heavy does this game go into like the food
2: aesthetic? Because obviously weirdly, it's called Snack World. Weirdly not. Um, so... You'd think for a game that's called Snack World, it would be all about food, but, like, characters are named after food, but they're not really related to food. Um, Most of it comes from the snacks, which are, like, uh, your party members slash enemies before you recruit them. Uh, A few of them, like, based on ice cream or, like, chili and stuff like that, but, like, a lot of them are just general puns anyway. Uh, so it, so what's, so what's the uh,
0: what's the uh, f- what's the flavor of the game like? Is it randomly <laughs> generated dungeon <laughs> or uh, like God. each each uh, area yeah, has like a theme to generated.
2: it or something like that? So you depending on where you are in the story, you get access to different dungeons. So uh, the first one oh, I forget what it's called, but the first one's like a very generic dungeon, and then the next one's maybe like a forest theme, and then there's a water theme, stuff like that. Uh, but they're all, like, named with different puns. Uh, so it's quite... The the gameplay is quite repetitive, and some of it's generic, but the charm really pushes it all through. So, like, it is just charming enough that even if you're doing the same quest again, you're like, nah I'll push through, because these characters are quite fun. And, like, the game is clearly just having a good time of itself, and I can really appreciate that. At a very low level, you're kind of just describing kind of the, the
0: bubble that level 5 games kind of exist in. They kind of have this like extrinsic quality to them, where they're charming and memorable and colorful. But then when you boil it down, there's usually some sort of I don't know how to word it, like design annoyance or something. There, there's something that's usually that holds them back. Usually not in the not usually not in terms of like uh, a like a deliberately you know or a poorly executed specific thing, but just kind of like in general where it just doesn't. Whether it's repetitive or annoying or there's something that just feels like clunky. I know I'm thinking very general, but I'm trying to encompass like the reason why Yokai Watch kind of was a flash in the pan, and why um, why other level five games kind of land in that you know like you said the seven to eight range and have, seem to have a hard time really like sticking the landing.
2: It's a shame, really, because the only thing about the game, and this sounds like a massive like dig at the game, but it's not, is that the only thing that's remarkable about it is how bizarre and charming it is. Like the gameplay is fun but it doesn't go beyond that uh which definitely isn't a bad thing like I, I don't think anyone's expecting it to be the next half-life or anything like that but it's yeah it is what it is at the end of the day well it's
0: a dungeon crawler so like how would you do you have any experience with like uh maybe adam can speak to this like youtube well, is it like, like an like, odyssey
2: or it's it tries to focus on the loot so every quest has like a specific Oh, this is the big item you can get, and then you can find it in chests. But a lot of the time, I found that either the loot wasn't really like differentiating enough from the normal weapons as it is, or I found I wasn't actually getting any of the loot. So I- I'd spend about 15 minutes on each dungeon, which sounds short, but for the dungeons which are only about three levels, that's that's pretty substantial. Looking for all the chests, and I get all the chests, and then at the end, I still wouldn't find the weapon, which is just which is typical RNG, but. Felt like it was quite bad here. I don't know if that's possible. Yeah, it doesn't feel
0: like it doesn't feel like rewarding. Like you did what the quest Uh, asked you to do, but there's you're you're at the mercy of the RNG. Uh, But but then
2: when you you... do find a weapon, it's like it is that typical. I remember when I got my first special weapon, I was like, oh my god, yes! Even though I don't have a massive attachment to the to the game when I was playing at that point, I was still excited. So maybe it's just my bad. So it kind of sounds like that
0: it leans pretty hard on its like kooky aesthetic and it's puns and like but that's kind of also what brings the charm forward though you, yeah if, if you're the type of person that that doesn't really stick to you and you're like i'm not interested in that I'm, i want to see the nuts and bolts and this is maybe how adam absorbs these dungeon crawlers because i know he has a lot of experience with like etrian odyssey and things like that he it might not he might not take so kindly to it but if you're the sort of person i don't want to speak for you um but if you're the sort of person that like is looking for a new dungeon crawler then this one is kind of one that at its surface presents itself in a very different way
2: well that's that's the thing it's it's very much it's a very accessible dungeon crawler at the start but the further you get into it there are like little things that come up that are a bit more that there are intricacies to it so for example there are some quests that you have to have a certain like outfit color you have to have like specific uh loadouts that sort of thing which Doesn't sound very intricate, but compared to how the game does it, where you usually just like, yeah, you can just auto-equip whatever you want, like it'll give you the best loadout, that sort of thing, to then have the game tell you, no, you need to put a bit of thought into this, like what color do you want to wear? It it does have its intricacies, um, especially after the main game, like some of the side quests following, they just get more and more.
0: Well, it sounds like kind of like an interesting game and like uh, how... If February is a good time for it. It's something that we can, uh, you know, give give a look at since we have a window to, to do that, even though it's something that I feel like it originally came out in Japan in 2018. And you mentioned that it was multimedia. I don't know if it was ever too big, but it had like an anime and maybe like uh, yeah, toy a toy line, line as well. I so um, sure.
2: When I did my research, it made it seem a lot bigger. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it outside of when having to uh, I cover it. No, neither.
0: I first heard of it like uh, when we got some press releases for it coming out on Switch. I think it, yeah. this is actually like a remaster of a 3DS game from a few years ago or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, like this was a, is kind of like the, uh, the 3DS the re, the release.
2: It's like a re-re-release. Re, well, well, no, it's a re, it's a port of a re-release. Uh, so it's 3DS and Switch, and then now we're getting it on the Switch. I uh, but yeah, my biggest problem with it, uh, and this, it's going to sound like a weird complaint, yeah. it's just that it's very full-on um so it's constantly bombarding you with like puns and jokes that aren't always funny and the there's so many repeated audio clips like this i remember there's this one so you have these enemies called snacks well you have these enemies and then once you've defeated them enough times you can recruit them as snacks so they become like a party member basically um and there's this one called uh, a mimic, and its like purpose is to copy whatever it sees. And whenever it copies something, or whenever it's just walking around, it says it's like really annoyingly says "copy, copy, copy." Like it says that, and I, I genuinely I had to mute my TV because I had it as a party member because it was quite quite a good uh, attacker, and I, I was just I was going crazy. I couldn't even for a bit. I couldn't even figure out what was doing it, and I realized it was <laughs> the mimic. Was
1: just like, can, you, just can you can you like
2: adjust volume levels at all? No, you you either have no voice, no no sound effects, or no music. You can't change the voice because I oh. I did look into that.
1: Okay, um, this is this is a general note. All games should have like individual volume sliders for voice, music, and sound effects. Every oh, single wow. game.
3: Agreed. The, <laughs>
1: so, most games do now, but occasionally you still run into a game where it's like, wow, the music is way too loud. Let me turn it
2: down, and then you can't. And, and this one especially because it's it doesn't have. I'm trying to think I'm trying to think. I don't think it has any moments where it's like full dialogue. It will have it, it's pretty. Is it voiced? For, like in English? Yeah, it is it is English voice, but it's just like little oh, little bits of it. It's so, it's a little like, like, like chirps. For some reason like, like, a... Oh
0: like little chirps here and there. Okay.
2: It's like, oh yeah, whenever they speak that sort of thing.
0: hmm Okay.
2: So how but, yeah. like
0: uh what's the premise? Like is it every location is themed after a food? Do you fight with food-themed items? Like, how far does that go? Do you play as food, or do you play as, like, little cheapy humans? I'm looking at some on
2: the screenshots here. I- I'm laughing to myself as you say that, because it's like, th- this is exactly where my confusion came in. It really doesn't have that much to do with food. Like, oh, there's characters that are named after food, but they have nothing to do with food, so there's this big guy called Berenice, and I think it's or or like there's this girl that's called Mayona, like mayonnaise, and she has nothing to do with mayonnaise, <coughs> she's just called that. Um the you enemy... said there was
1: a character named Salt and Pepper.
2: Oof, Oof. Oh,
0: Salt and Pepper,
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah
2: like <laughs> that's it. That, that's it's just a pun for the pun's sake. And they they can be quite funny and clever, but it doesn't really have anything to do with food. Um so there's a there's a dungeon that's called the Lost City of Chicken eatzer Um and it's, uh, or it's a, or, or sorry, and it's just that's about as deep as it goes. You'll occasionally see enemies uh, like based on ice cream or whatever, but it, it's just. And again, there's a there's an enemy I'm thinking of now called infantry, and it's just a like a child soldier. Like it'll cry whenever you defeat it, and I'm <laughs> I'm thinking that's nothing to do with food. Why is that in there? Yeah, a, that's yeah, that's, a, that's like it's like we we have this pun we want to use. It's not it's not on brand, but we're gonna use it anyway. Exactly. And I, I kind of loved that. Like, again, that, that charm kept me going when it got repetitive, but it's definitely not going to be for everyone. Um, you're going to have to have, like, a. You're going to have to want to be annoyed by it, I think. But it's <coughs> good fun, though. I, I did have a good time with it.
1: One thing I want to just kind of touch on briefly, which is kind of interesting in a way. One thing about level five games that's probably not ideal is that, like, this game came out in Japan, like, two years ago and it's just releasing now in the west and that's not that's a trend for level five games is that they take a long time to get localized and it certainly doesn't like help you know this kind of worldwide like so many japanese games now are either released day and date or at least within a couple months i think it's like, i think that it that... just level five takes a long time and i'm, I'm I, it certainly doesn't help things like <sighs> i know like yokai watch 4 came out in japan last year it actually came out on two different platforms over the course of six months and like we apparently it's coming to the west they announced that uh very kind of casually at anime expo i think uh level five of course also develops yokai watch but it's just when will we get it no idea (laughs) they just take a long time
2: i think that definitely adds to the problem of uh snack world flying under the radar because people just don't know about it um, Wasn't yeah.
3: Snack World originally like a 3DS game? Even? Yes.
2: Yeah.
1: Like this is actually a remaster plus like new content. And that's the it's weird because
2: it's like the snap Like I've I've never heard of Snack World. Um, I like to think that I'm quite in tune with pretty much anything game related, but mm-hmm. I, I'd never heard of it. And apparently, it's this huge multimedia franchise in Japan. Like it, it's a kids uh, show, and it does. I'm it not really, sure how really huge well.
1: it is. They uh, yeah. wanted it to be huge. Yeah. But, uh, <sighs> Well, that's, yeah, a, but that's yeah, kind they, of the
0: same story with the Yokai Watch, right? They wanted it to be big, but maybe it never. Well, really I think got Yokai Watch was big
3: in Japan. Yokai Watch was, was a flash in at a point.
0: Yeah,
1: and I think that's actually where, like, more broadly speaking, again, where level five is maybe struggling a bit because they were banking on Yokai Watch so hard, and it just has been sort of declining in popularity over time, like any property does. And now they need to find like the next.
2: See. Uh, I remember Yokai know, Watch like doing gosh. really, really well when it first came out. It, it, it? did. Like, it did. Oh yeah,
1: it sold like like I think the original 3DS game. I think it sold more than a million, which is really yeah. good. Uh,
3: uh, I do remember uh, hearing that I think around Yokai Watch two specifically, like in Japan, it was like doing Pokemon numbers. Yeah, for Japan, for Japan. But I, uh, it just didn't I, I, have I, the
0: staying power. Um,
3: yeah, uh, some of us the, are
1: are pretty acquainted with uh sean musgrave at touch arcade and he actually is a teacher in japan as well and i remember he had an anecdote where he put yokai watch stickers like he teaches grade school um english or whatever i think it's english i'm not sure though but anyways he he put like yokai watch stickers on their reports or whatever you know like a teacher would and apparently he got like some audible groans like kids in japan are kind of over it <laughs> uh, oh really even so like it's like yeah I guess it's that that was sort of a that was sort of just uh, a very specific example like yeah I guess this is not probably
2: as you know it's not as hot as it used to be <laughs> so uh. well unfortunately I feel snack world especially here will go the same way being, yeah it well may, like, hopefully would be a hidden gem at most because it it, it does deserve a a look and I like I'm, I'm itching to play it now a little bit I've talked about it uh, but it's not you know it's not going to be the next Layton or anything like that.
0: Mm-hmm. But it, yeah. for someone looking I've for really another dungeon crawler, that's game. sorry. Huh? As a, someone huh? that's looking forward to like another dungeon crawler, this is something they should be looking at if they Oh yeah, know, there's no an yeah. the Odyssey uh, in the pipeline or whatever. Uh, so yeah, it's good. Might fun. as well get 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 your uh, food puns on and look at Snack World, the dungeon crawl. Uh, Take a bite. It's only it only released on Switch this
2: remastered version,
0: localized version.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah, it released Friday, sure. uh, I believe Valentine's Day.
0: Well, that's one of the benefits about like a slower month is it allowed you to get some time to, to look at that. Uh, something that maybe would have gone under the radar if had it released in a busier time. Even though it might just end up under the radar anyway. But we'll give it due
2: diligence to talk about it here. So, any other comments on Snack World? Just uh, give it a look. I, I really wanted to end on like it some mighty food pun that would show that I'm really in tune with the game, but I'm not going to do that. So, <laughs> moving on. You've, <laughs> you've, uh, yeah, you've, uh, you've done enough, so... All right, so James, uh, what have you
0: been looking at this last week? Uh, you have listed here Sheeran the Wanderer. I don't know much about that. So go ahead and tell us what you've uh, done with that this week.
3: Well, I actually played through this game closer to launch on Vita and reviewed it for another outlet. Um, but for whatever reason, I've just been uh, in the One mood second, what of...
0: game is it? Because uh, you have Sheeran the Wanderer 5. I don't know, like, if it, is it a fifth game in a series? Uh, what's the game well... you've been playing specifically?
3: The official name for the localization is Sheeran the Wanderer, the Tower of Fortune, and the Dice of Fate. I think that's it because it's yeah. a long subtitle and it's kind of hard to remember sometimes. But um, yeah, it's uh, frankly, I think the thing was is that I've been kind of jonesing to play a Mystery Dungeon game. I've been excited for a Pokemon Mystery Dungeon coming out like early next month. And it's like, well, what should I play? Well, I could play Explorers of Sky, that like I'm halfway through a playthrough, or I could play More Sheer in the Wanderer. and I was like, I'm gonna play More Sheer in the Wanderer. <laughs> so, so um,
1: a little bit of history: um, the Sheer in the Wanderer games. This is actually in Japan. I it doesn't have a subtitle like that. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just called Sheer in the Wanderer Five. Five plus. Uh, well, there, it was on 3DS as Five, and then it released on Vita as Five Plus, and that's the version we got. But Kind of like back in the day, uh, we didn't. Most of the games were not localized, so I think they didn't want to call it five here because we haven't gotten most of the other games. So I they, gave, they gave ninety nine a
3: subtitle sure. instead. I am ninety nine percent sure the whole reason we got this game was because of Frank. At Access is a yes. huge Sheeran fanboy, and he personally um, did all he could to localize it. <laughs>
1: So Good. mystery dungeon games are a bit of an acquired taste, I think they're roguelike, so meaning you are progressing, you're getting stronger, you're getting new equipment, but then if you die, you lose some things and then you might have to like kind of build yourself up again. I, I wow. forget exactly in this game what carries over yeah. that you kind of keep in your progression, but okay some, some so people to watch... hate yeah that roguelike structure, but also just like the, the the randomized dungeons uh and the traps and the things like that. I also played this game, and I reviewed it for us. And it's really cool. I think, actually, if you haven't played a mystery dungeon game, it's a pretty decent, it gets kind of tough, in a way. But I do think it's a good place to start. It's a good place
2: to be. So so uh, as a quick definition, what would you define a mystery dungeon game as? Uh, It's like
1: a roguelike dungeon crawler.
3: (laughs) Yeah. um, Specifically for Sheeran, and I know that some people get hung up on the uh, definitions, uh I'd say like stuff like Pokemon Mystery Dungeon and I guess Etrian Mystery Dungeon are rogue lights because you um keep your level ups between dungeons and you like keep your um equipment it well certain bits of your equipment if you die. Um Sharon's not like that. You can buy tags which you can affix to like equipment to make sure that if you die you have a chance of getting them back, but by default If you die in a dungeon, you lose everything. So, that's definitely like the one big difference between a rogue light, like Pokemon mystery dungeon, and rogue, like because it's more like rogue.
1: And some people absolutely detest that design. You know, I understand it, but it it does make very
0: tense. Yeah, anything that I've played underneath that like heading has been the rogue light variety, where there is. A, a so, somewhat rogue softened rogue. sense of progression, light tea, uh, because I've played like Rogue Legacy, which obviously you kind of pass down your uh, traits from, you know, hero to hero. I've played the, the this is a weird example, but the uh, t- the Final Fantasy Ten Two 2 last mission, where I forget exactly how it works, but if you get a specific item, you can keep your, you're your, like, uh, it's either your level or your job progression as you start back over in the tower and then last year i actually did a review for this little indie game called dark devotion it's kind of like dark souls themed not not playstyle but themed and then it's got a uh, light sense of you know sensibilities where you you can earn currency and purchase like buffs and passive skills and things like that and then you hold on to those even if you die and lose your equipment but i enjoy having like that all right i'm set back so that, that it makes death feel punishing but i do know that i was able to keep some progression to make this next run feel a bit smoother until I get back to that point.
3: I feel like you, well, the one thing that Shirin does differently between like compared to other actual road likes is that you can save some progression, but it's not automatic. So like I said, you can tag stuff so you can get them back. You can set, um, you can use like if you use an escape scroll or something to leave the dungeon, you can also like leave items in storage so you know that even if you do die in your next attempt you aren't starting from square one you have some backup items yeah yeah but i think most people would agree that it's still a rogue like because that those options you have to seek them out and it's not automatic and um <clears throat> i'll just say this um my first mystery dungeon game was pokemon mystery dungeon so i started with rogue lights and um shiren the wander wasn't my first rogue like it was um, actually NetHack. <laughs> if uh, I don't know what that is, it's a really old, um, like Unix terminal-based uh, dungeon crawler. That's like one of the really, really old roguelikes, and it's infamously difficult. And um, like one of the kind of holy grail gaming challenges is: Have you ascended a NetHack? because, like, the dungeons themselves are huge, like, each floor is huge, it's obviously completely randomly generated, there's, like, a bunch of different functions on the keyboard for, like, different things, and it's, um, it's a lot of fun, but it's also, like, kind of, like, one step removed from Dwarf Fortress, and, like, how much you need to memorize. It's trial by fire. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, been playing *Sheeran Wanderer* again. Having a... I should, I should.
1: You can't obviously see this in a podcast form, but *Sheeran the Wanderer* also has a great pixel art style. It's really oh, nice.
3: Oh, totally, totally. Um, the other reason I wanted to replay this is that I've been waiting actually to replay it because they announced a PC port. Like I don't know how long ago it was now. Like when Steam, like when Valve was first kind of detailing Steam for like China or something, they. Uh, that um one of the games that was announced as a steam for china launch title was actually Tyrant the Wanderer 5 plus or this one so we know a pc port's coming but we haven't heard anything and i've been like waiting but eventually i was just like you know what screw it i'm going to play it again on vita i'll play it again on pc too
1: <laughs> and we know and we know spike Chunsoft is friendly with pc like they they released some of the danganronpa games on there they released uh, shibuya scramble on there so, like, it sort of makes sense that in the Wanderer, which is, like, one of their bigger properties, would make it eventually. It's just still waiting.
3: Yeah, like, we know it's coming. It's just, like, when? <laughs> oh, well. But, yeah. Um, that's basically what I played this week. I did play more of *Fancy Star Online 2, which I'm not sure if you want me to talk about now or if we want to talk about the uh, closed beta impressions that went up. Or...
0: Uh, we, we can make that our first. Uh, as we... Sh- transition out of the uh um, what we've been playing section to our kind of news section obviously when we had our cast last week the beta had just gone up less than a day less than like 12 hours though it had some delays yeah. with you mentioned the ships and things like that so now that the weekend yeah. i think it was extended slightly and then they pushed back some of the event quest timings and things like that there was a few issues which i think is go ahead let's just yeah. go let's just roll think... right into it what are your thoughts on the uh on the closed beta now that it's come and gone
3: um, let's just say that I'm really looking forward to finding out when the open beta will start. <laughs> um, I had a lot of fun playing the game on Xbox. Uh like I have mentioned in the past, I do have a Japanese account. I have played the game on the Japanese servers a bit. But I think I kind of screwed myself over when I first started playing on the Japanese servers because I did like play with some like random person that kind of like invited me to their like uh I Alliance, I guess it is called, yeah, Alliance, and they like helped me grind up levels. But as a result, I didn't really learn the gameplay loop. So I like once they kind kind of just went on their own way. I was like, okay, what do I do? And then it's like, this is boring. I'm gonna stop. And well, that's um,
0: always the uh, the problem sometimes when you like get uh, invited to an MMO or an MMO like game with someone who has the experience. Because you kind of lose some of that organic, this might not be exactly what you're mentioning, but this is something that I kind of worry about where if someone teaches you, all right, this class plays this way, you want to do this sort of thing in this order, you kind of lose a little bit of that intended organic uh, learning, learning curve. So when you mention a friend bringing you along and you not learning the core gameplay loop, that's the sort of thing I think about is like, all right, when I play a Phantasy Star Online 2 when it comes out, I'll probably wait for the PC version. How much knowledge do I want to have going in? Because I don't want to, I don't want to think, I don't think I want to go in like ground zero because obviously it's an established game and I don't want to be like, you know, floundering around. But at the same time, I don't want to have it like dictated to me, like do this, then this, then this. So I, I had to f- kind of think long and hard about what sort of middle ground I want when I finally dive in.
3: Yeah, I will say that, um, and I'll try to just talk about things I didn't talk about last week. Uh, I think that you def, I definitely benefited from having played the Japanese version at least a little before hopping in because there are so many systems at play here. Like I remember one of my main complaints about the game when I was playing on the Japanese servers was that by default your inventory space is super limited, and that's still an issue to be sure, but the game has a ton of systems that make that a lot less of a pain like if you get duplicate weapons you can just like basically fuse them to strengthen to enhance your uh, weapons that way or or you can actually feed extra weapons and armor to your mag to give it to level it up and give it buffs that it gives to you and um yeah basically the limited inventory space is a problem still, but it's not as much as I originally thought it was because you're trying to accept unless there's like certain things that, you know, you want to hold on to, you should really be disposable with uh, the types of things that you're picking up.
0: But when you're starting so that, out, sometimes it's hard to like, oh, what if I throw away something I need? And then you end up hoarding things and then you don't know, like yeah. what systems you should engage with that, to try to limit the burden.
3: Yeah. So I'm definitely, once the, I think they're going to open up the paid, um, paid store for the open beta, because it sounds like, like the way they're talking about it, it sounds like the open beta is going to transition directly into the full release. Like, I don't know if they've like outright said that, but originally they said that the bonuses that you would get from playing the closed beta would be available once the game launched. But now they're saying that they're going to be available once the open beta starts. So it kind of sounds like, oh, maybe they're just going to go from the open beta directly to launch. So, I don't know. So, um, so obviously you wrote a, a
0: preview that you put up on our site, and I think it's one of the key headers right now. Uh, you mentioned yeah. some uh, drawbacks in terms of the, uh, when you talk about the Japanese version, but in the English version, obviously it comes with a new localization translation. Uh, you had some mixed feelings there. Can you go into a little bit of what you saw on that end?
3: Well... I want to stress it was closed beta. The translation wasn't finished, and even if it was, Fancy <laughs> Star Online Two had been out in Japan for eight years or somewhere around there. It had plenty of content added. I think any um, localization company would have a, have like trouble trying to translate all of that text and dub all of those voice lines like in such a short amount of time. It, it's like, I do just want to stress that. But yeah, there were So basically, quite a few you're just issues. keeping
0: in mind that it that it is a, it's not a fully, it's not 1.0 in the West yet. It is, it is a beta. Yeah. So you're, you're keeping that in mind, which I think is prudent.
3: But the translation definitely has some issues. So like, despite what I said, I am worried that at least part of these issues are still going to be a problem once the game releases, just because of how many of them I ran into. Like it felt like I was constantly running into translation issues to the point where sometimes it felt more like I was playing the fan translation than the official localization. But um, so you
0: are right that some of it might just be sheer volume. Like I've played English released MMOs that have had you know errors where the spoken words don't make don't match the uh, the written ones or the written ones have typos. In oh all. yeah, it's just yeah. like, th- those are going to be missed. And whether whether it's just simply you know copying copy editing or or a result of a translation effort or localization effort you, you don't really know you don't know the background so yeah. there is a I, there is a just volume aspect to keep in mind of how i much do think
3: them. that maybe not all of the english voice lines have been recorded yet but i'm not sure because i did see some people mention that they ran into issues where they set the japanese voices but they heard english voices from some like npcs and stuff and I ran into an issue like on the last day. I was actually checking out the uh, casino in the game. And besides the announcer voice, which was in English, uh, pretty much every other character in there was in Japanese. So I didn't set it to the Japanese voices to check, but I do wonder if maybe they just hadn't actually like dubbed the voice lines for those yet, except for the announcer. I don't know. Uh, but yeah, there was typos. There was um, issue like clerical um, errors with the translation. I, I saw
1: your tweet where you there was some of that just like like system text, you know, like yeah. menu text that was like broken English, like uh, this I'll, seems like I'll, a robot translated or something.
3: Yeah, I'll be blunt. There were some situations where I'm pretty sure it was placeholder text that they just machine translated. and At least I hope that's the case, because if somebody actually translated something like that, they probably shouldn't be part of the project they don't speak english (laughs) yeah like (laughs) that might that might be blunt but it it, it's just true (laughs) um well
0: yeah maybe, maybe there was a time constraint there in terms of we need to have something shippable for a beta yeah. that's we know is incomplete yeah again we don't know the background i'm assuming it's it, machine transfer. you'll be i assume yeah i assume you'll be more critical once we're at full release and they have some time to polish it out and if it still falls through the cracks then you can kind of maybe this, maybe scowl at it a little bit harder than we're doing right now
1: this doesn't happen too often but sometimes when we get like review code for a japanese localization this doesn't happen too often but there are there are times where like they'll actually send over a review code and they'll actually say like just a note not all the text is translated. So you might run into some Japanese words here and there. We're aware of it, just so you know. And you will like run into, like, oh, I guess this line wasn't translated yet. And so sometimes some of those lines, they don't like get implemented into the. And final they code. are aware
0: of it and they've already scheduled a fix, but just they don't yeah. have a, a shipped version with that implemented yet. So because. If that was that now, version. I don't know the case for Fantasy Star
1: Online, but I know for how a lot of these low companies work is that they. They'll do the translation in like a document, like a spreadsheet, and then they'll actually have to send it over to the Japanese developer back in Japan. And then they actually have to do the programming into back into the game. So it can sometimes take a bit of time to go from actually translating it and putting it back into the game because they don't actually, the localizers don't actually do that. So you run into weird things like that.
0: In just some in cases anyway, but like you said, you don't, yeah. you don't know if that's right. the system at play here, but it's just something to keep in mind. But yeah, yeah uh, like like I said last week, I'm excited to try this. It's been a while since I've jumped into a uh, big online MMO-ish game like this. And for some reason, just the art style of this one has really kind of piqued my interest. It's different from kind of the Western fantasy that you see, or even like the Final Fantasy sort of fantasy. <laughs> That's a bit redundant. You know what I mean? Uh, it's, it's just got a different aesthetic to it altogether. So it's something that I think is kind of interesting and stands out amongst the shrinking crowd of MMO-like games. And obviously it's been well-established and you know it's been been well-supported for the last like seven years on the Japanese yeah. end. So it's got plenty of stuff to go dig into.
3: Yeah, just one last comment about the translation. I think I mentioned this last week, but I uh, do feel like um, it really is... Interesting isn't the best word, but they didn't even try to sync the lip flaps between the English and the Japanese. And it's not even like some cases where it's just... Like the lip flaps don't match up. There's several cases and cutscenes where the English dialogue will um, either keep going after the lip flaps have stopped, or the English dialogue is stopped and the lip flaps keep going for a, a second or more. So
0: yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm a bit of a fossil, where I'm used to playing some older MMOs where their 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 lips aren't even like modeled like they they don't even have fish lips they just don't open or close period yet they have voice lines like so for me who's i played you know original runescape original guild wars things like that i'm like yeah well obviously runescape didn't have voice acting but um, well, i know what you mean i like, guess that, that sort of thing where it's like i don't ex- i guess i've still got the mindset where like modern-day MMOs will have those sort of presentation values with lots of voice lines and mocap you know animations but I'm used to MMOs like not even having that that's still kind of what I default to in my mind space but I'm not saying that excuses it or that I don't care at all like yeah I'm fine with that I think so obviously I'll see how distracting it is once I see it in person
3: I don't think it would annoy me as much if I didn't know that the Japanese voice lines were synced up
0: right And then obviously, even on single player games, sometimes uh, the uh, obviously in like big Square Enix uh, properties, they do rework the voices or they're matched to English in the first place. But then some other games, they just they don't like, for instance, like Monster Hunter. It's clearly (laughs) not it's clearly not matched to the English voices. Uh, I think they do uh, some clever uh, job trying to get them to match as close as they can. But you can tell that it's not, you know. Not intended. The, sometimes not the intended I. Animations for the English voiceover.
1: Obviously, depending on what the line is, sometimes if you try to match like an English line to the Japanese lip flap, you get some weird inflections where it's just like they have like awkward pauses or things in like the middle of an English line that don't really make sense in English, but might make sense in Japanese in the way just the sentence is structured. So sometimes I think it might maybe it has to be like a case by case decision. Like, do we match the lip flap here and like work the line around it or do we just have the lines sound natural and the lips don't match
0: so right and obviously that'll depend on every you know different publisher and what they're going for all right so the second topic from the week is on the other side of the world uh talking about anthem bioware i know that's a bit of a you know a hard <laughs> switch over so uh, it's, it's kind of funny uh last week we talked about fallout and now we're talking about anthem so these two kind of like bugbears of the last few years in terms of Struggling, is that the right word? I'm trying to figure out the politest way to put this alienating Uh, kind of yeah, Western RPG properties. So, last week we talked about Fallout, which is obviously you know Bethesda Studio getting its big DLC package, and then Anthem, we know a little bit less about. But, uh, late last year we had some reports from IGN and Kotaku talking about how basically the reason that they had you know shunted their whole roadmap was because they were working on this big, uh, you know, revitalization rework. Which could invoke a whole number of, you know, precedent, whether you want to compare that to, you know, at the top end, it's going to be like Final Fantasy 14 and it's going to be amazing. Or in the the middle end, it'll be like Destiny Taken King, uh, or it'll just not even matter at all, which obviously it seems like the cynical, you know, general consensus doesn't seem to be optimistic about this. But uh, so they basically last year we had the reports, but this year they actually have a blog post talking about how the main goal of the game is a long-term redesign of the experience, noting the game's loop progression systems and specifically end-game content. So uh, I think out of the four of us, James has the most experience actually diving into Anthem when it first No, I don't. I don't know if you have. Oh, you don't? All right. So I think a lot of us kind of were eager to try this out, but I think the early reports
1: were so poor. Like, so we had our reviewer Natalie play it and then Josh played it as well and Kyle so like we had several of our staffers played the game and like none of them had anything to say about it when it first launched and so like even though the rest of us like I think we were, we were given some codes to play it, it just Eight. we're just like uh, maybe not <laughs> So. It
0: had no staying power at all. I think within a couple of weeks, like even though those that were into it had kind of dropped out. And specifically talking about the loot system, Kyle did actually write a pretty interesting like uh, opinion piece about how because he was comparing it, I believe, to like uh, Destiny and things like that about how poor it actually was and how like how stale I, it felt. I, I'm pretty sure so that I don't piece
1: have. Is uh outdated now because they, they kind of nixed some things already and changed it up and I don't know if I don't know if they've really solved the issue but it's feels like it's a work in progress. They're figuring out how to do it. So
2: I'm optimistic. Um just to just to be the only one who is. Like I feel well, like w- when I saw Anthem uh when the the gameplay first came out, like the flying on its own I thought was pretty cool. Um, and I feel like with the feedback they've had, they they really do have the power to make a difference here, whether they will or not. Uh, I guess it's anyone's guess, but I think they
3: could. I've
1: seen a lot of people compare this to A Realm Reborn. You know, that's... A Realm Reborn... Well, that's always the
0: high watermark, right? Well, that's that's kind of the
1: exception. That's like the one case where an online game kind of came out and stumbled... Severely, (laughs) we'll put it that way. But then was able to uh, was able to reinvigorate itself and become um, one of Square Enix's most their best successes, really. So, like that's obviously what you're aiming for now. And there's really no other case like that yet, as far as like can you know off the top of my head, some game online game struggling and then kind of reclaiming itself. So that's that's the hope, right? Is that Anthem. Next or Anthem 2.0, whatever they call it, whatever it releases, will find an identity, will shore up some of the issues that it has with loot and progression and be able to capture an audience and Uh, succeed.
0: Unfortunately, their blog post just kind of punts all the details out, basically saying just, you know, please wait. Like I said, we will be focusing on a longer term redesign of the experience, specifically working to reinvent the core gameplay loop with clear goals, motivating challenges, and progression with meaningful rewards. So that's kind of very fluffy, very vague. Yeah, and We will make say, it better. Mean, in, yeah, in the meantime, they're going to continue to support the current version of Anthem, though I guess that just kind of means keep the surfers up, but move away from full seasons as the team works towards the future. And then uh, they are going to revisit past seasonal events. So it feels like it's almost kind of like you can just ignore us to, to be a bit cynical you can just ignore us for the next several months because we're working
2: at this that, but it's going to be a while that's sort Go of ahead. where hearing you say that then like even with me being optimistic is anyone really going to care in a couple of months like if this was now if this was anthem next coming out mid of february that'd be a good time to do it because there's nothing really out but the more months you wait, like the closer we get to a new console generation, we closer we get to like people just not caring at all. Like, right? So are, people gonna be, are people
0: gonna be booting up their disc versions of Anthem on their PS4 in early 2021 to to do this? Exactly. Or, I... or are they gonna be interested in buying like a new release, a re-release, if it ends up having like a box package, like um, like No Man's Sky, I believe, did?
1: They have a high hurdle to clear. They... So like, Aroma Born wasn't like an immediate success it just they re- they released it and then kind of over time word of mouth from final fantasy fans that, that's well that's also one thing that uh, that final fantasy 14 kind of had going for it was that it was attached to a, a, a beloved brand final fantasy so like people tried it and then kind of word of mouth over time was like hey they really this is really cool and over time kind of grew that success I, it wasn't an immediate wow this is amazing I think what Anthem needs is that word of mouth, but you need some sort of devoted fan base to like give them a chance. Which maybe they have.
2: Which but. You wish it did. Like it almost to me, it almost has it has this stigma surrounding it. Um, mm-hmm. like well, it almost has the opposite reputation. problem,
0: where it's Bioware moving away from their established brands into something that right. almost feels exactly. like yeah. it's just following in the wake of more successful I- games, like. Uh, Final Fantasy
1: XIV also had kind of that carryover from Final Fantasy XI, which is also pretty successful and well-loved in its own right. So it had kind of this pool of players who had played Final Fantasy XI interested in it, no matter what it was, and giving it a chance. Again, kind of that branding idea where Anthem doesn't really have that branding, besides the Bioware branding, which I know Bioware has their fans, but it's more single-player stuff right so this is sort of a i'm, I'm just trying to point out like it, it's it's going to be a, i believe like a harder uphill battle for them here and even just to get people we, in we the door, let
0: alone the product itself but, yeah so. all right so i don't think there's really much more to say on that i guess we're just going to keep sitting on our hands wait. and waiting i know i i'm not really interested in like you know really thinking about this project this game until they really give more concrete details because it really just sounds like they're in a holding pattern until they're not which when are they not going to be who knows so all right hurry up and wait for our next topic this is something that i put on here it's something we did talk about briefly last week so uh pathfinder wrath of the righteous the crpg from alcat games started its kickstarter last week which we talked about how that's kind of just a trend for this style of game Uh, They did pass $1 million in uh, backing pledges, which just seems to be kind of like a watermark that a lot of these Kickstarters uh, hit, whether it's Divinity or Torment or Pathfinder. But they did announce, obviously they have a slew of updates, but the key one here is that they announced (coughs) a turn-based combat mode, which has kind of been something that uh, people who are looking forward to potentially maybe playing on console or people who have really liked the Divinity games, which have arguably been the most successful uh, have yeah. been really waiting for because these games are normally real time with pause. So uh, that's very like conducive to like uh, computer you know, mouse and keyboard quick selection where it's not as conducive to a controller, whether it's, whether it's eventually going to end up on a console or not, but uh, it's something that people have been waiting for. And I think it's gotten a lot of buzz enough that I felt like it was appropriate to mention here. So Wrath of the Righteous will have a um, baked in, you know, officially supported turn-based mode where the original Pathfinder Kingmaker just had a well-received mod. So, uh, I don't know if you have any other real comments on that. Uh, but I just, I think like, is, so I don't ahead. have as much experience
1: with CRPGs. But like, uh, like I said last week, I have played some of Baldur's Gate, the original. And so that's the classic real-time-with-pause combat. And, like, while I don't hate real-time-with-pause, I don't, I think, like, turn-based I've probably preferred for me, just it's a little bit more strategic kind of planning things out where real time with pause, you kind of feel like you're always interrupting yourself. Like, okay, you do this. Now you do this. Wait, I need you to change what you're doing. Now you work on this and like what your characters are doing. It's just a little bit more tedious maybe to like make sure your characters are doing what you want them to do in real time and having to pause every so often to, to basically. One thing that I always find that I end
0: up doing on real time with pause is Uh, you kind of find like which spells give you the most bang for your buck or which abilities so you end up and this might be the true of any rpg where you find out like what the path of least resistance is but you kind of figure out all right if i have my mage cast this my healer cast this my warrior stand here and my thief do this i win most fights and then you just kind of do that kind of like on a rote uh basis for like you know i guess trash mobs or whatever you want to call it so that's, that's going to be the cool thing here is that it's, it's, it seems like by all accounts, it's going to be this tog- toggleable thing where if you have trash mobs and you don't really want to like spend the time you know going through iterating, iterating through turns, you just do that, what I just described, and you clear through it. And then when you get to a boss encounter, where you actually might need to try a new that's tactic true. or a new technique, you turn on your turn-based mode, and then all of a sudden, it'll slow the game down, yes, but you can be like, all right, I'm going to implement a strategy specific to this encounter, where if you did that for every encounter in the game, it would just bog it down which has kind yeah, of been the one complaint that I've seen. Like, for instance, for um, Pillars of Eternity Two's turn-based mode, it's it's selected at the beginning and it kind of makes it so that it takes a long time. It's almost like the playtime of the game will depend on this selection right here. It'll be like plus 30 hours if you go turn-based just because the game was not originally designed with that in mind. Where here, now they kind going to have to have this compromise where it's like, well, it's it's designed for both as to the best extent that they can. But
1: I don't know if you mentioned this, but yeah, it seems like turn-based modes have... Been sort of a something that people have been pining for. In these sorts of games, like with Pillars Two, Deadfire, it was added like a, a long time after release, like several months or maybe even a year uh, after I'm release. I'm pretty sure
0: it was after. It was after or right alongside with their like their last DLC package. But yeah, it was pretty late.
1: Yeah, and then like you said, Kingmaker, it was not officially supported at all. But someone made a mod for it that was well liked. So it's just something that people wanted. Of these sorts of games and i can see why
0: right yeah so i've never really played like i played obviously you know the turn-based i've always played with the intended style i guess is what i'll say i played um pillars of eternity with the real time and i played divinity with the with the turn-based and i've never really used a mod or anything to really toggle to the to the other choice but since if this one allows it on the fly within the same same file then why not I I think the reason why they can do that is because, and this is probably true to some extent in all of these, where the underlying mechanics of Pathfinder are turn-based because like a round is six seconds, a move is two, an action is two, you know, things like that, where they can, it's discretized anyways at its core level, you know, behind the scenes. So to to make that turn-based, it's just really just manipulating that counter, so... Obviously, whether or not you know that and can actually implement it in a way that feels natural and good, and that's you know two different stories, but it'll be interesting to mess with, and it's something I'm eager in actually trying out and seeing which one do I actually like more? Because right now I think of certain games playing certain ways, but now it's here's a game that can play both ways, and which one actually feels better in the same property. I'm not actually sure. All right, so in the last week we've had two pieces of news regarding Neo and Neo 2. So on Monday, or actually last Sunday, uh, it was announced from Koei Tecmo that the original NEO had surpassed 3 million units shipped. So that's uh, shipped, you know, any ship physical goods and digital sales. Uh, and then related to that, obviously, is the sequel expected this year is that NEO 2 has gone gold, along with a new uh, last chance trial demo to be available at the end of the month. So I believe this is something that George really wanted to talk about. How do you feel about uh obviously Neo success rolling into Neo 2 this year?
2: I think it uh, a very good thing. Uh, it's always good when a well-made game sells well. Um but I especially wanted to bring it up because in this day and age when you have stuff like uh GTA for example selling however much sell so like a billion a year, yeah. Jesus. Like when when you hear that uh like 1 million 2 million 3 million doesn't sound like much but that's like a massive accomplishment for neo because like it was the it was the first uh in what is now probably going to be a series and it sold 3 million like that's really cool um so i just wanted to mention like well well done to neo uh neo 2 looks fantastic it kind of feels like obviously in the last few years we've had
0: a slew of forgive me dark souls likes uh or this one feels like it's. it's <laughs> this one feels like it's kind of been the one that's really been able to kind of like set its footing and establish, kind of its own like unique, uh, more action oriented identity. Which you might argue Bloodborne did as well, obviously from the same developers. But and we did discuss. Uh, actually, I don't know if we discussed it on the podcast, but we published within the last month that uh, Code Vein had had uh, passed one million as also a game in the same genre. So Neo being at three million kind of shows, you know, at least we can come. I think we're, we're fair to compare those apples to apples uh, in terms of their success. They're and both. Neo's a game. They're that, both they're both right. new
1: uh, IPs. They're both Japanese games. Uh, one's got the more of an anime style in Code Vein, and Neo is more of like
2: photorealistic Japanese style, like however you want to call that. <laughs> so it's this is going to sound weird. I don't. I don't know if this is. In fact, this is probably no one else's experience, but I actually beat Neo before any of the Dark Souls games. Um I just loved Did you I end up going the... back and playing those? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. I've got the trilogy now. Um and after, I think Neo opened me up more to playing that sort of game. Um mm-hmm. I think I was tricked tricked into it by the whole like samurai thing. Cause and then, at then at obviously the time, I'm kinda going in... the other
0: way, where it's like I've played the Dark Souls games and now obviously uh, I guess I could wait for Elden Ring, which we haven't really had a lot of details on since E3. Uh, We're overdue, even, even E3 time. didn't
1: have that many details.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was just introducing the concept.
3: Yeah. Um So I played Neo for like my second Souls like game, which I, I can't believe that's actually what people call them now. But I, I guess the name stuck. But uh yeah, Dark Souls was my first and then I I owned, I think, yeah, I owned Bloodborne, but I didn't actually finish any ever Souls likes until uh, Neo came out, which I actually ended up enjoying quite a bit and uh, went out of my way to get the platinum trophy. So I'm pretty excited for Neo too. Uh, not sure if I'm going to get it on launch on PS4, if I'm going to wait for the inevitable PC version. Um, I think a friend of mine from high school is uh, getting it on PS4 day and date, so I might just get it on PS4 to play with him, but I'm not sure.
1: So one See, interesting right, thing
0: about Neo, Co- yeah. go ahead,
1: is that you have like your own created character now, rather than a like a playable protagonist. Like obviously there's a protagonist, but you create them. So right. Well, the other in one in the first Neo, like
2: I think his name was William. Um, mm-hmm. He he was barely really a character anyway. So it it seemed like the natural progression for me.
0: Okay. Yeah, so I've only ever played I've played Demon Souls and then Dark One Two Three. so I'm kind of like uh, you know, basic when it comes to what sort of these games I've played. Though uh, Didn't you I play have watched friends. Oh, I did play Bloodborne. Uh, I I never played the uh, expansion content, the um the uh, add-on for it because I no longer had the physical disc. But I kind of am interested in trying these like more action-oriented games now that I've played Bloodborne most recently. And I know this sounds a little bit weird, but I also kind of want to go back to 2 because I never played it with that Scholar of the First Sin update where they made a lot of mechanical adjustments and they add, they changed the ending and things like that. But I haven't played that sort of game in a long time. And I know some people scoff or scowl at that souls born genre but i think it's a, i still think it's a useful heuristic as long as you describe specifically the game you're playing as and don't boil it down to oh it's it's this genre it has to play like this or whatever uh but and that's the sort of game where it, it scratches certain itch and i haven't played anything since but uh either bloodborne or dark souls 3 i don't remember which one i played most recently uh code vein i don't think really is up my alley i've watched someone play it and i think it's got it's got too much of a focus on directly told storytelling and it's 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 more in your face and overt in that in that way but neo i think has kind of been more up my alley so maybe i'll grab the uh the original pc version at some point uh kind of prepare myself for the eventual pc version of the sequel that we're kind of it's not it's not officially announced but we're kind of expecting obviously based on precedent i think is where we're at at that point but yeah neo we're pretty excited and i think it obviously has shown with its three million sales of the first game that it's kind of here to stay who knows how long it'll uh, stick around and be kind of a pillar for uh that's for that genre outside of um, from software. All right, to go from uh, Neo, which is kind of a new IP that is finding its footing. We're gonna go kind of back to something that has been dormant a while, but released in Japan last year is the new Sakura Wars. So uh, Sega just announced that Sakura Wars, which is kind of a, I don't know if you call it like it's, it's kind of like a reinvention of the Sakura Taisen series. Which well, has, it's, it's last it's, release uh, was in 2005. Sakura
1: Tyson, which literally means
0: new Sakura Taisen. Uh So it's basically a reboot. All right. So I don't know a whole lot about this other than that the games were originally kind of like turn-based tactics with some visual novel elements, but now it's action with visual novel elements. Uh, has anyone here played games from Sakura? Because I'll just be honest and I'll say I have not, though I've been obviously intrigued with the, um, the marketing of the new game with the animation
2: bleach fame and things like that um so i, have uh, like, I also you know. haven't at all so i'm i'm gonna listen eagerly here uh
3: sounds like none of us really have anything to say well i am right, we needed to get I, josh be honest screen, here so
2: i'm gonna be honest yeah we need
1: we need josh here i'm gonna be honest here i'm not really personally interested in this game i i, I just don't it's like so from what i understand it's a, it, the dating sim part of it is its key hook. It was sort of like one of the original RPG dating sim tactical RPG meshes and there were 5 games that came out in Japan before this one or five mainline ones anyway. I think there were like visual novel spin-offs or whatever. But the only one that was released in the West was the fifth one which dual released on PlayStation 2 and Nintendo Wii. That was done by Nice America. And they were all tactical RPGs with dating sim elements so you kind of get like your main character then like a series of five or six girls that you can basically choose which one you want to woo and date so um that's the key selling point of it and that's not something i'm really interested in personally so i'm you know just everyone has different tastes but this game you know it's been more than a decade since soccer wars 5 released so sega i believe this this game is mostly the valkyria chronicles team working on it they recently released or a couple of years ago, Valkyrie Chronicles 4. And so this is their latest project is re- reviving the Soccer Wars series, but it no longer is the tactical game. It's actually now an action game. And to be quite honest, not very many places like officially are calling it an RPG anymore. Like we are actually sort of wondering like, should we cover it? Because it's not this game. They've been kind of more subdued in calling it an RPG. It's more dating, cinema, action. Sort of, uh, sort of game, but we decided to cover it because it's it's in a brand that is. I mean,
3: being an RPG, it's uh, a Muso like now. Yeah, it's more like it a
1: so which are kind of borderline RPG in a way. But um, so this game comes out on April twenty eighth for PlayStation Four. Uh, it's an exclusive for PlayStation Four. I know Sega has now been putting games like Yakuza and. Uh, valkyria chronicles on pc or even xbox now um but this game so far no word if it's coming to any other platform
0: i have Uh, seen people say like i'm in for the pc release or whatever even though that's kind of an assumption made on their part it may be a soccer wars. obviously i guess all the same
1: it has that uh it has that uh cult fan base you know it's obviously Mm -hmm. not a popular title in the west but it is a popular title in japan and you know Uh, Some people who have played the Japanese versions or played Sakura Wars 5, so long my love, are really, really glad to see this game get revived. It's not a big franchise in the West, but hoping that this can be like a second chance for it. Uh, It's got you know that anime style dating sim elements that have become popular in games like Persona or Fire Emblem. So even if you haven't played the series, this is a reboot. You don't need to know anything else, as far as I understand, about the series. You can jump in with this one. Uh, Different style, different cast. I think it's got like a couple of returning characters but it's meant to be a starting point so it's basically a revival attempt and these sorts of games well are it was
0: dormant now. in japan too obviously it's not right, like it's been years. ongoing in japan and this is the first time it's leaked over in 10 years it hasn't had a release in 10 years and i believe it takes place like 20 games after the most recent one and the uh the sakura 20 this years one is is kind of like a fan of the of the character from the previous games you know when she was younger So there's kind of like that kind of uh, very loose tie where it's like we're going to kind of make a nod to those previous entries. But then this is this is a new jumping in point because we're obviously the next generation, like literally in terms of the characters we're focusing on in the setting that we're in.
1: For the sake of this podcast, I will apologize that none of us are really well informed about this. But when we review it (laughs) uh, and when we have someone actually talking about their experience with the game, it'll either be Josh or Chow, you know, people who are fans. You know, obviously the RPG genre is so broad that everyone has kind of has different, you know, styles of RPGs right. they like and brands that they've been comp- that they've been accustomed to or familiar with. <laughs> just unfortunately, just lined up. We're talking about. Yeah, well, I think
0: outsmart. Josh would have been here this week, but he's been under the weather. So obviously, we're yeah. wishing him the best. But <laughs> next time we get him on, even if this uh, news ends up being a little bit uh, older, we'll talk about uh, you know his his interest in the game and his experience with it, and you know, and we do have the announcement uh, with all the actual you know nuts and bolts and details on our website talking about soccer wars. So probably not something I'm personally going to be looking into, but it, I am glad to see the it's it's I'm excited to the to see the excitement around it because we shared so the like, release date and it got a lot of shit. Just to kind so. of
1: branch off the idea, there are several dormant Japanese RPGs that I would love to see get revived, like Suikoden, Breath of Fire, those sorts of things. And like if those got a new Suikoden... Or whatever, Shin Suikoden Wars, or whatever you want to call it, like I would be ecstatic. Like, yes, this is finally coming back. Although, with the state of Konami, maybe not. Uh, Anyways, like I understand the excitement around it because I have my own brands and franchises that I am passionate about that I would love to see come back. So, the fact that Sega actually did go back to the vault to bring this one back, I totally understand the excitement for it. It's just something that I haven't really, you know, experienced.
2: That's where I fall on it as well. I think we're all, it's always nice when. A dormant franchise gets revived because you know that even if you're not excited, there are people out there who are going to be excited for it. Mm
0: -hmm. And then by proxy, you're kind of like vicariously excited. Yeah. All right. For the next topic, I know exactly who's excited for this one, or at least I presume that he is. Uh, Utawaramuno Prelude to the (laughs) Fallen. There you go. We're going (laughs) to talk about Vita more than we're going to talk about uh, any other. Dead franchise or console, it's not dead, it's still alive. 2020, you were just playing uh, Cheer on the Wander*. so now we're talking about Utu Ramuno. So, Prelude to the Fallen releases in late May 26 in North America, 29 in Europe. Uh, for is it for PC or is it for all uh, Vita, PlayStation 4? Okay,
1: so Nice America, who is the publisher and the localizer for this game, they are releasing it for PlayStation 4, and that'll be a physical and digital release. Um, and PlayStation Vita. That's going to be a digital-only release because they they don't make carts anymore. Um, now, DMM Games is a different publisher who recently released the games on PC, which James had some issues with, like with the resolution and whatnot. Now, DMM Games did say that they are planning on bringing this game to PC as well. So that's separate from Nice America, but there's like no timetable or anything for it yet.
0: All right, so the, so the May dates are for the Vita and the PS4. Yeah, that's
1: the Nice America announcement for the PlayStation versions
3: yep um it's kind of crazy like i know that like before this was announced like last year people weren't sure if it would actually come over because like um mask of deception mask of truth are great games and like especially great tactical refugees but never got the impression that they sold particularly well so when it seemed like atlas was not going to uh, pick them up it seemed it seemed like we would never get the remake of the first game. This, this so. is
1: kind of a, this is actually kind of interesting, just like the shifting landscape of, of this, of this environment in that like Atlas back around, when did, when did the other two games come out? Like 2016, 17 or uh,
3: 2017,
1: 17. So that was after they were bought by Sega Atlas, like the Atlas in Japan was purchased and acquired by Sega Japan. But before they really kind of gave got into the groove of like localizing like Yakuza and other Sega games, that was back when Atlas would actually pick up Atlas USA excuse me would pick up games from other developers to localize. So things like Utawara Romano, and they they localized a couple of Fury games and things like that. Like they they couldn't Atlas USA couldn't survive on Atlas games alone. So they would actually localize other companies products. But then when they basically merged with sega they had a bunch more work to do and they actually don't do they 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 hardly localize anything that's not an atlas or a sega game anymore so it's kind of interesting how now nice america comes in to localize this one
3: yeah in fact they like, don't and i could be wrong but i don't think besides like rock of ages which is just not even a localization it's just publishing yeah they do some um, indie stuff I think they don't actually translate any non Sega Atlas games anymore. Right,
1: that's what I was that's what I was getting at. Like they're just they're, they they don't have the time or the resources now. Like Sega releases a lot of games that especially like with the Yakuza re-releases uh and Soccer Wars and Bucko
3: Chronicles a couple of years ago and all that they they're too busy. Yeah. So. And I mean good for them cuz right. like I know that for a while there it was always like very unlikely that we would get some of those like Japanese, like Sega games. So it's good. 7th Dragon. Yeah. Uh, that was an entirely different situation with the 30th. No, <laughs> I, I feel so bad for that team. But um, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I'm excited for Utuaru Mono. I'm also excited to uh, review a Vita game in 2020. Oh, yeah. And By maybe way, actually...
1: today, as we record this podcast, I believe it's the eighth birthday
3: of the Vita. In uh, the West, anyways. In the West.
1: So
0: it's so we did bring still up on a tertiary basis pace. the uh both of three DS kind of in terms of the snack world, even though that's this is a remaster move move over to Switch. And now we're talking about Vita like in the flesh, like legit releases coming out for it that we're gonna be publishing reviews on. So
3: Vita literally outlived three DS because it's still getting new games and yeah, three
0: D S is not.
3: <laughs> Kinda crazy. Yep,
0: twenty twenty, year of the Vita, year eight.
1: Now, I think people who are interested in this title already know, but just to lay it out for people who may not. So Utawa Romano was a visual novel in Japan back in like 2004, something like that. Yeah, something like so that. It's, it's a classic in a way. Um, and it, it was way never it, officially it, translated, but it got a popular fan translation because it was well liked. You know, there was someone eager enough to translate it. And then it got some anime adaptation, so people in the anime sphere, you know, might have seen the anime and like, where did this come from? It came from this visual novel. And then it was basically dormant for a decade. Like that was it. That was Utamaro. It was a visual novel, and it got an anime, and that was it. Um, and maybe some books or whatever. But then when they basically decided to make a sequel for it, now was Mask of Deception and Mask of Truth, either in that order, or flip flop. I don't. I forget. You got it right. Like that. That was sort of a you know, kind of what we were talking about with Soccer Wars, like kind of a, that was that publisher, Aqua Plus, kind of reaching back and saying, let's make a sequel to this game that we, or to this visual novel that we did a decade ago. And those games basically turned out very well and were localized. And then, so Aqua Plus decided to take that original visual novel, remake that in the style of these newer games. So it's like part visual novel, part tactical RPG. And that's what this new release is. So Prelude to the Fallen, is a remake of the original visual novel and it's set as a prequel to the other two games so effectively if you want to get the whole utawa storyline you could play this game and then the two previous sequels if you if you can get what i mean those three I, games make up the story
3: it's kind of funny how we were just talking about soccer wars and essentially like old soccer wars and mono are very similar
0: mm-hmm. I am very that. glad that we have uh, like Adam on these podcasts because he does obviously like 90%, 80% if you include Kite's contributions of like our news posts. So he's obviously very, you're very well adept at speaking to like these kind of nuts and bolts of what release and what order and uh, and what territories. Yeah. So I do appreciate that you're able yeah. to provide the background on that, even though I know you haven't played any of these. So you're while well, yeah. I'm just kind of, sort of just like, get nodding my head, it. like, right. I'm just enjoying yeah. your lecture, like legit. Yeah.
3: But yeah, <laughs> so, I'm uh, super I am curious about the translation. Like yeah, America. Start, they've been, the better. Greatest, they've yeah. been better over the last couple of years. Like we both can speak to the fact that Labyrinth of Refrain had an actually legitimately yes. great translation. Um mm-hmm. Cold Steel 3 had a great translation. They even like patched some things up recently. So it's like they've been doing a lot better. I do trust them, but I also know that I think I would consider Utawara Mono the litmus test. Because Lavender for Frame was a special situation where they were working on the translation well before it actually released, because they originally started working on it when the Vita version was a thing in Japan. And then they just pushed it back when the PS4 version got announced and pushed it back again when... The Sky and, Five complete did super well. On and Switch then Euro. the game
1: was delayed in Japan too. So basically they had that game for a long time. So it had a plenty of time for polish. Yeah.
3: And cold steel three, was kind of a thing where they screwed up ease eight. So even though they did end up mostly fixing ease 8s translation, they knew that they wouldn't have the benefit of the doubt with yeah. uh, cold steel three. So um, I, I think they're up to the task, but I also need to see, like more of the translation to now because the trailer they put out the only actually translated portions of the trailer were the uh subtitles for the final strikes and the co-op finals well you, so,
1: with a game a visual novel that has you know mountains of text you can't judge a translation by a trailer so. yeah
3: well but like what i mean is they showed dialogue sections in japanese
1: oh so the trailer still showed japanese footage okay
3: so that's why I was like, oh, I wonder uh, wonder what the actual translation looks like. That's a bit concerning because, like, it, I mean, May is three months away. Yeah, it's only three months away. You'd think that they would have, like, English footage for those sections. I don't know. I hope. And you played I, the
1: English version, like, a, obviously, an early build of it when you visited their offices, right? Oh, no,
3: I didn't. Um, oh, when anyway. I did the uh, hands on impressions for the PS4 version at Last E3, uh, that was kind of like an off-the-cuff thing. I saw that they had the development build on their uh, unit, and I said, hey, can I play a bit of this? And they right. said, oh, it's only in Japanese. And I said, that's fine. And it's like, I'm not like going to say okay. anything about a translation because it's like, this is obviously oh, like almost a year away, and I guess it was a year away. But um, I did ask about it at when I visited them a few weeks ago, and they did say that, they just didn't quite get it in in time to like show off the press. So well,
1: speaking of Nice America more generally, and we've talked about this before in our previous version of the podcast, you know, 2018, but like when they released East eight, they kind of released that and of V3 almost like a month apart. And those are two huge, not even games. a month
3: apart. They were like weeks apart.
1: Yeah. And I, I, that was probably not the best decision. Cause I think both those localizations Especially ESA, but both of them got some criticism. And those are two huge projects that were they were kind of working on simultaneously. And it seems like now they, they did cold three cold seal three last year, and now Uto is probably their biggest project. I'm sure they're probably working on Cold Seal 4 too, but that'll release later, of course. So they're at least staggering them a bit. Yeah. Uh, so yeah,
3: it feels a lot more metered now. Yeah. So I I'm excited to see more. Hopefully, I get to see some of the translation sooner than later, but we'll see. Um, Definitely excited to play another game on my vita.
0: All right, so Uh, this next topic is about another Spiked Chunsoft published game. And this is kind of like a very quick and fast sort of surprise for us, I think. So, in the back half of last year, they announced a isometric hack and slash game called Katanakami, which is a spin off of the Way of the Samurai series. And it was announced for release in February of this year for Japan, and that's kind of where it was left off, as far as I know. And then, well, here, let me, me do what they I announce... do and explain
1: a bit. Well, basically, so...
0: I'll 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 give you the lead. They basically kind of surprise announced the localization in a very quick succession. Well, the thing is, it's it coming was basically all
1: but announced
0: that oh, right. when the Go game ahead.
1: was announced in Japan, they first of all they announced it for PC, <clears throat> and I know that's not a hundred percent. Because sometimes it takes a while for a PC version to get actually translated like with Saga Scarlet um, Scarlet Grace. Grace. And there, we broke another rule. Talked about that game. Um, (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) But when they announced it for PC, that's kind of a a, a near giveaway that like, oh, it's probably coming west. Because it seems like while a Japanese PC audience is growing a bit, that's really like an indication that they're probably going to release it for the Western PC player audience. So that was kind of the first indication that like, oh, this game is probably going to be localized. But then, shortly after announcement, it was actually trademarked, and that's how we knew, like the set, the, the English subtitle, away of the samurai story, and so like it was trademarked, and that was that was basically our second indication that oh, it's probably going to be announced. But then we it wasn't specifically actually announced by Spike Chunzov for quite a long time, even though basically all signs are pointing to yes, it's going to be announced. And then I think not too long ago, a shop page opened up uh basically showing that it was going to be released worldwide on February 20th before it was announced. And we can probably share this. Spike Shinsoft actually sent a review code for the game before it was announced. Yeah. <laughs> which was very awkward. You don't ever get that where yeah. they send a review code without announcing a game. Like that's that, that's that's backwards. <laughs> so yeah. it was very weird. Uh this they they finally did announce it uh not like a week ago um that it was yes coming out for PC and Switch and PS4 on February 20th same date as the Japanese release it just took them a long time to get there for some reason
3: yeah i'm um, to be blunt spike chunsa's been a bit weird lately like yeah. um they shadow dropped that steinsgate uh spin-off but the fact that they shadow dropped it wasn't even the weirdest part because that spin-off itself had, like, fully translated trophies on, like, PSN profiles and whatnot, like, from the developers, like, two years before they dropped it. And as far as we can tell, it was actually already translated then. So I don't know what's going on with them. They're just... And this is kind of, like, inside baseball stuff, but there have been, like, a lot of shuffling with their PR, so we just don't know what's going on over there. It's it's weird.
0: Yeah. Does anyone here have any experience with the Way of the Samurai series?
3: No, really but really uh, <laughs> I'm actually ex- interested to play this game because it seems like something like a Diablo-type game.
1: Yeah, yeah it's a totally different
3: type of game. Also, right. it has a and Wanderer outfit, so...
0: Yeah, <laughs> oh, there you go. Vita! Even though this game's not coming to Vita, but still. All right. It's, <laughs> it's coming to Switch, which is the... Uh... Switch Lite, which is better. the beta
3: 2 and all but name.
0: Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, yeah, this is not a game that I don't think hasn't been on my radar, but I do think it's kind of interesting looking. And it's always kind of I mean, when it's kind of like dropped on your lap like that, It's 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 almost making a splash just by the immediacy of it. It's like, here's this game coming out in less than a week from today. So, yeah, kind of crazy to yeah. think about. So, who on the site is you mentioned obviously that we got the review code for it did someone pick it up and is looking at it
1: josh is playing josh. through it
0: oh josh all right so hopefully he's feeling better and timing. Yeah. <laughs> there you go all right but uh yeah. so obviously uh we'll we'll have him look at it and maybe we won't get it up right away but we'll we'll see his impressions maybe by this time next week or the week after and see what he thinks about this little kind of surprise uh for february all right. For our last topic of the week, this is something that really isn't a surprise, but we're obligated to talk about is Final Fantasy VII Remake. So, yes. uh, there's two, there's yeah, there's two pieces of news for this week. Um, so late January is when they first revealed and announced Red XIII, which obviously, based on the scope of the game being set in Midgar, we knew was coming. Uh, and then they just kind of followed up with more screenshots here. Um, more uh, renders. They did some renders for like the summons, like Carbuncle and uh, one of the kind of weirds. Yeah. Yeah, had, yeah like people, I've, I've already seen like the I've already seen some of the jokes where like they just extend the head out. They just like uh, smear it so that it's just huge or whatever. People are <laughs> kind, of, like, kind of poking fun at it. But uh, I they always they also talked about like Tifa's battle abilities and, uh, you know, other kind of tertiary characters like Hojo. First of all, we're kind of at, at that point where it's we're kind of at the point where they're really at like the low level drip feed of information, though. Well, actually, one I find important this important thing they talked about here. Yeah. And I think I'm, I think I'm leading into the same thing you're talking about is one thing that we've kind of been asking ourselves in the back end here is like between the, uh, the cut scenes and the story beats and obviously, you know, familiar scenes, new and, and then familiar scenes and then new scenes with new characters like Roche, the new soldier what what is the meat and potatoes of the game between these sorts of you know events and they actually kind of discussed like the quest system here and i think adam you have some mixed opinions on what they've showed
1: yeah first of all before we talk about that has red 13 been been confirmed to be a playable character
2: i was just going to ask that i i definitely have we sort of assumed that he would be because he's obviously a playable
1: character in the original but in the
2: tra- in the re- in the like most recent trailer that they released, where it showed Red thirteen for the first time, I was looking at the um party members. And he isn't there for that. I, I would make some bit.
1: sense though, because you you get him near the end of Midgard. So it might make sense that he may not be playable in this game because if he was, he would be only playable for like the last section.
2: Mm. That's what I was thinking. And, maybe and maybe obviously party. being
1: a uh, a quadruped, he would control differently. Um, and they maybe the only four playable characters are Cloud, Barrett, Tifa, and Aerith. Maybe I mean I don't know. They just haven't confirmed it. And yet
0: and, and based off. on the based on the marketing so far, that's kind of how that's kind of how they've packaged the marketing, where it's just like this quad of characters. These four is the um that's that's the party. Yeah. That's the playable group. Structurally, with so, Red sense. being Red, yeah, Red kind of being added near the end. It, it, in a way, obviously, because it's a remake, it feels like an omission, but also the way the remake has been handled so far, it doesn't quite feel like an omission. It kind of feels like Red has his part to play in the story here near the end, introducing, obviously, Hojo and uh, the underbelly of Shinra and things like that, but uh, they haven't... I think I think it fits that he, if he's not a playable character, I don't, I don't think anyone really has an immediate problem with that. I, think I mean, that we know this sense. game
1: is not going to complete the story anyway, in a way, so... Anyways, talking about the quests, so there's two different types of quests that they that they introduced into the game, uh, and one of them. So I mean, we we, we probably expected there'd be uh, some sort of side quest system in the game, right? Uh, but one of them is just like mercenary quests, and these sound like your run in the mill uh, fetch quest side quests, where. The uh, what the press release calls them is like this could be anything from taking down some monsters to helping find some lost cats. So, there's probably battle quests, search quests, things like that. Um, you probably get some money rewards, material rewards, whatever. Um, and that's not really inherently interesting, you know, it's just kind of an expected thing that you might expect these sort of games to have. Like, Final Fantasy XV had these sorts of fetch quests, they were not great. <laughs> So how the how, how the
0: how the press release words the mercenary quest is, it's kind of fluffy. But here it is: citizens and merchants from across Midgar will ask Cloud for help. As a jack of all trades, Cloud will help them with these quests, which could be anything from taking down troublesome monsters to helping find lost cats. Which is what you say and then the second sort of quest is the uh battle report quest which to me it almost feels like it could be pooled in the same pool anyways but they put it as like a separate you know a second leg uh, battle report quests are available from chadley he'll request that you complete various requirements such as using the assessed material a certain number of times or defeating enemies in a specific way complete these tasks and he'll develop more material that you can purchase and to me this just sounds that sounds like padding, padding like, uh, using it in a materia a certain way. I'm already expecting to see, like, a list in some sort of, like, fancy UI that says, cast fire X times on this end, or something yeah. like that. I just like, really? Uh, well, actually,
1: oh, the, I know- what's, this is actually kind of interesting. Um, the, the blog post that Square Enix posted doesn't post this, but you can sort of see it in a screenshot, but the press release we got actually does say this. They actually give an example that there's going to be a, like, staggering an enemy so many times is a quest. And you actually see on the... Uh, on one of the screenshots like it's a quest called the stagger effect part one zero out of 10 the stagger effect part two zero out of 15 so uh, it's so hard to be excited
0: when you see that yeah
1: so I, lame, I can maybe but... see like an interesting like fighting a certain enemy like with a handicap or something and beating it and i don't know having that that feeling of surpassing an enemy while you're handicapped but this is not a great first look i guess where it's like casting a cess so many times or staggering an enemy so many times just like padding and we were all wondering in be a way, okay
0: if if this is used just to kind of fill out play time as sort of a you want to test out your new material anyway or your new equipment anyway here's kind of an excuse to do this this is something that i think uh liz who contributes to the site would defend as sort of like you do need a little bit of this you need, you need a little bit of a hamster wheel just to because rpgs obviously are built on that sort of progression sort of you know movement i'm okay of, with it you know, personally right but i would love to see an example of like a more fleshed out side of series of side objectives it's just it's hard to play devil's advocate and say how could this actually be good when i see already oh if i want to complete the side quest i'm going to have to stagger enemies 25 times just to fill a meter it's like yeah okay, it's, I it's hard I to, it's hard, to, to, it's hard to
1: it's hard to see how tedious it might be like obviously we won't know how it's implemented until we actually play the game but it's it's just kind of yeah uh, not i'm not excited it, I mean, at
0: this it's, point it's it's the way the way it's been presented it's been really dry so no knowing think...
2: how long we're probably going to be waiting for the next part uh, like the more content the better in my eyes i know that's that's gonna be redundant when I'm doing the same quests over and over, but Yeah, and, and, and you can't you can't expect
0: nice. everything included in the game to be like a bespoke told story and bespoke side quests. Right. And they're yeah. all equally equally meaningful and significant. There's gonna be some level of iteration. And maybe this is it. Maybe it's not gonna be so bad, but it's I'm just not I'm not excited for it on its own. I'm excited for it like, all right, when I do this quest, maybe I'll play as a different character and or I'll or mess with a new type of magic. Like that's kind of the way I'm trying to see it. It's like yeah. when I'm trying to learn the ins and outs of the systems of the game, these quests give you an excuse and a reason to progress while doing that. Because it did say that this Chadley NPC will give you new material as you complete these. So um one, one kind of weird thing about... you... Go ahead. One kind of weird thing like story wise is that apparently this
1: Chadley is like uh, uh uh he's 15 years old and he's like a child researcher for Shinra so you're like doing these quests on behalf of Shinra like the the company you're trying to take down seems a little bit weird that
3: seems very yeah, weird. weird
0: yeah so. yeah he's a trainee who works under professor hojo but you know who knows how they're going to like you know submit you know stretch this out or twist things cuz we don't really know to what extent this is going to, you know, match the, the uh, original game or not because well, like, they really have, they, they've kind of been tight-lipped it. Like, I just think
1: like. of like Final Fantasy XV side quest, which I didn't, I think they were not well implemented. And the reason oh, being that. for that was so many of them were basically just kind of like the same thing in a different coat of paint. Uh, I, I call it search the circle. You had like the frogs, the dog <laughs> tags, the ore the uh, the parts for Cindy, um, like all all of these quests, they had like four or five quests each in these quest lines. And they were basically all the same. You go to an area, and then it's just like, search this region for this thing. And there's just so many of those. Um, and four or five different quest lines are basically just that thing. And it's just kind of, you could ignore them in a way. But it's one of those things that's just sort of like a tedious thing. Like if you do it, you do get a reward. And that's the point. That's the reason why you do it it's just not especially interesting
2: so someone who platinumed 15 like yeah my god <laughs> i know exactly what you mean when you said search the circle is just yeah. tedious. all the it quests heavy. were search
1: the circle and yeah <laughs> i mean i think like side quests and might have like an extra
0: boss or a different type of encounter might be cool but that, that's where i was going like you can kind of envision these mercenary quests where they're going to scale up and up and up. And then eventually, you know, some of the hardest optional content in the game with interesting new bosses and animations and new, you know, basically the challenges. You can kind of expect as a a Final Fantasy brand JRPG that there's going to be challenges that are likely more difficult, more involved than the main story. Obviously, I don't really have any, you know, specific, you know, evidence of that, but it's something I think we would expect and not be surprised by. And I can think, I can see how Mercenary Quests could ramp up to that. Where it's like the final, the final, you know, the final task given here is a unique encounter that you can only get by scaling your way through these ladder rungs, and that's kind of also a motivating factor. Not only do you get the material or whatever as you go, but you know that there's this really interesting new thing at the end that you're that you're working your way up. That, that, that's towards.
2: a this raises an interesting point. Like st- I, was, I was just thinking, then like you probably have to be max level to do those like last few things
0: yeah there's gonna be something there I presume. How you know, how, how are they gonna carry enjoyed. that over
2: into part two? Like like with for example Kingdom Hearts, I know me talking about Kingdom Hearts, yada yada, but they always had a reason why you'd reset at the start of the game. How are they gonna do that with part two and part free probably
1: like is there a reason to having your characters be like super powered in this well, game and then in the next game they'll be back to normal yeah yeah
2: exactly like
3: here's a question um do we know what the like from leaks what the max level is and in... uh, i haven't really looked
1: at the leaks i mean to be honest i don't care that much about the leaks but that's also one reason why i haven't looked at them it's just like i'm not i'm not trying to like dig for all the information i could possibly yeah. get yeah so
2: i imagine it's 99 though if it's like oh thinking yeah well
3: well, the reason i ask is because i know that in trail series like what they usually do is they like for example the first game in an arc is the final like the max level is either 40 or 60 well it depends because like zero and like um what cold steel i think it was actually 60
1: oh yeah i was thinking of sky which i'm pretty sure was 40
3: yeah it was but um and then like at the beginning of each like like SC or cold Steel two, you start off at like not level one, but actually level like forty or sixty. If I remember correctly with trails right, in the yeah. sky, you don't you
0: don't you don't start off right where you left, right where you left off, but it's like a sliding scale where now you're not gonna start any lower than this and your cap is higher and then the next one it slides up another notch. That's I think what it I think like. with
1: Trails in the Sky, it was like you could get up to level four. if you met level four, transfer in the second chapter you were level 40 but if you didn't you might start at like level 35 or something like that um and the way that leveling works in that series you catch up anyway very quick and also there was bonuses depending on your bracer rank you got like a an accessory at the start of the game which was good for the start of the game but if you didn't have it it wasn't like a fantastic piece
0: well yeah obviously they're gonna they're they're gonna have to probably peel it back at some point where they're like if you got the max level all the max material in this game it's not going to be one to one the in the sequel I don't think anyone's expecting that or not the sequel yeah. part two whatever I again, do call wonder
3: it. if um, if uh, square is even gonna try and allow for like some sort of save data transfer or like reading your save well, the, data because I guess they're possible. calling it
1: like part one and part two or the, sorry the fact that they're not calling it part one m- makes me think like they're really taking this like labeling and approach that these are going to be separate games just telling the story of one game so like this will be Final Fantasy VII remake, like a game self-contained, and then as like a as a mechanical game, and then like the next game will be its sequel, like any other sequel. Maybe not have a con- maybe not have like a, a carryover or whatever, but just be like a
0: sequel to, you know, Neo Two. We don't expect anything from Neo One to transfer to that. So uh, basically, you would think that they would They don't have to transfer anything, and they don't have to justify not doing it. They could just say, "Hey, it's a sequel. Of course not." Yeah.
2: Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. But, like, I guess we just until we even know what the situation right. is for part two or two. We're just speculating I mean. at this point. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we talked so, about, so we also
1: talked before how, like, this coming out on PS4 now is slightly odd because, like, by the time the sequel to this game is coming out in, I don't know, three years, that's roughly <laughs> three. Uh, <years. laughs> I'm being optimistic that they'll have some assets made. uh, Like, we're going to be a couple of years into the ps5 life and maybe this mm. game will have been re-released on pc at that point and you know will they re-release it on ps5 and xbox by that point who knows
0: well, this well is the, is the second like- bit of news okay. that uh, sorry george the second bit of news that i just i just want to kind of branch out from what you said about like assets and what the next game will look like so the second bit of news this week was that they released the opening video which is like a five minute basically you know showcase of the fidelity of the you know presentation but yeah. people have it's already like, started pretty. to compare people have already like started to compare like the model differences like between an announcement in this year or even between like last year and this year like look at how Aerith's face is different or thing like that um and obviously people that are super fans are going to do that but then you wonder at what point do the assets kind of like get fixed in or like all right we've got a cloud you know model and the whole weapon animations and combat animations and things like that to some extent, you think they'd be able to, you know, forward bring them into whatever comes next. But they're also, you expect they're going to keep right. adjusting and mm-hmm. tweaking, and then going into the sliding scale in terms of your power level, quote unquote. Um, you can probably presume that whatever is top tier abilities in this game will only be like the second shelf in the second game. Where it's going to go past that at some point, you would imagine, where your characters are allowed to, you know, get even more, you know, powerful abilities or materia or things like that. And, of course, you know, summons that are introduced until later in the story will be able to showcase whatever animation tech they have when they release for PS5, things like that. So I think there's does plenty raise, they can do
2: to both. Go ahead. It does raise the question to me. For you guys, would you prefer... I'm sure this has been asked before, but would you prefer the full experience, PS5, like a couple years down the line, they've written it, it's all done, or would you prefer it how it is in parts now?
3: I prefer the full experience.
0: It's hard to answer because how how much is this going to feel like a full experience? Obviously, the Midgar section yeah. of the original game doesn't. But if they change the scope, where pe- characters like Sephiroth and Genova are going to play a bigger role earlier in the story, is it going to feel like not a first chapter, but a first game in a trilogy? But then, then again, I guess there's kind of minutiae there. Does one game in a trilogy feel like a full experience?
4: Mm.
0: I think, uh, I, think I guess I'm, I'm okay with, uh, I'm okay with quote unquote partials as long as it has like a cohesive start, you know, a through yeah, line I and an ending. Uh, I don't, if it has like open endedness, because obviously it's going to by, you know, by design. That doesn't bother me usually, like even in games where they aren't followed up on, if they have an open ended sections to their ending where it's like, ah, we could follow up on this or you could kind of imagine the ending or, you know, envision what might happen from this point forward. I'm personally okay with that. So I guess to answer your question simply, I am fine with just the first part. I don't think I'm like, I don't think I'm like, oh, I'm going to wait for the whole thing or whatever. I'm fine the first part it
2: would be hypocritical of me to say oh i'd rather the full experience because i think this is one of my most anticipated games of the year like (laughs) i'm too excited to say yeah i can wait a couple more years to play it like it has to be now i think
0: release the demo we know it's there give it to us
3: (laughs) seriously i'm surprised they haven't ended up releasing that demo maybe they always intended for it to be like a day one or like a week before launch thing and then it just kind of backfired on them Maybe it'll release on the
0: original March release date. Who knows? I think
2: we pissed Nomura off by leaking it, so we're just never
0: going to get it. I think that's it for all the topics that I had laid out for this week. Were there anything that you guys wanted to talk about that uh, that I hadn't explicitly brought up that was newsworthy, either going from this week or into next?
3: Um, Nothing news-related, though I did put something on the uh, doc. Let
0: me scroll down. What niche series do we want to see a revival? Because I guess we did talk about how, you know, dormant series like Utawa, Ramuno
3: or Soccer uh, uh, Wars. Wars, or even to a and certain then, extent, Katana Kami, because like the reason that got became a thing is it actually came as a result of uh, Wave of the Samurai 5's cancellation.
0: And we did so. talk a little bit last week about Baldur's Gate is obviously kind of in the same boat, which by the end of the month, we should have more details about that coming back to life. Let's see. Yeah. What niche series do I want to see revival? I'm trying to th- I'm trying to come up with an answer to this on the spot, but it's more difficult than I intended. Uh, I guess it's kind of weird to consider it a revival, but one game obviously that we're expecting to hear more about this year is the Tales series, which has only been a few years. Since Bizarrea, yeah, but since it used to be an annualized, very frequent franchise to have a few year gap, does feel like a dormant period on a relative. I'm very basis.
3: excited for Tales of Arise, it seems very promising. I just want to see more because, but yeah, I'll, because
0: obviously, um, Bizarrea was still like built on assets from PS3 era, so we're like two almost two generations beyond that at this point, so and. I'm, yeah. Go While ahead. the Tales games did like have some graphical updates, like
1: uh, as they progressed, Tales of Berseria, I'm pretty sure uses like the same general engine and models from like Tales of Zelia, and even like I think Tales of the New World, like Symphonia 2 on Wii, even though it was standard definition, they kind of all had like the same style, like different different characters and whatnot. But like all those games, that's like a seven games or something like that. Uh, maybe not that many like five or six uh they all have like the same style to them and so this game finally feels like a refresh of the series that took them a while to get there
3: yeah hopefully we get more information i feel like both that and um elden ring were way overdue for more information mm. like uh i for elden ring specifically i feel like and this is going off topic i I, I feel like it's probably going to end up being a cross-gen title, and they're waiting until like for uh, they're waiting for Sony and Microsoft's game of chicken to end, <laughs> so they can so like what like Sony shows off the PS5 and they have an outlet to actually show off the game at its best, quote unquote. That's my that's my
2: yeah. Assumption. I would I think that makes sense. Uh, to to answer your niche question, um, I think Knights of the Republic. Like a so anything Star Wars RPG that would be that would be awesome. Uh, well,
0: obviously we we kind of briefly touched on the rumors for that, but uh I do agree um, that
2: oh yeah yeah
0: the, it was very brief last uh-huh. week because there's been rumors about it, but we'd like what form will it take? Will it be an action RPG? Who will develop it? Stuff like that. Who knows at this point?
3: Um, Not necessarily RPGs, but there's a ton of other games in Sega's back catalog that I really feel like. They should have like new entries like Jet Set Radio. Or, I was just
2: gonna say Jet Set or Radio, oh Nights
3: or Nights and stuff like that. It's like, man, there's just like Shining Force. It's like, there's just so much. Like, I guess Shining Force, Shining Resonance. Yeah, Shining Resonance. Barely not, the same. Barely the same, but I, yeah, it's like it really just does have a fantastic back catalog that I, I hope that since they're doing a lot better these days, we'll continue to see like some of those series like return in some way or form.
2: Yeah, yeah, but why make like a new RyStar or Jet Set radio when you can have a new Sonic team racing game? Like it it doesn't make <laughs> sense.
3: You know, the funny thing and... is is that I am actually a big fan of Sonic and All-Stars Racing transformed and seeing Team Sonic Racing kind of cut out the rest of the sega influence yeah just incredibly
2: disappointing that's just... why i didn't check it out to be honest same
3: and
0: then to kind of build off that one game that you reminded me of that we also briefly talked about last week is a dormant series that i would like to play would be a new armored core though obviously Damon x machina has a lot of the same like blood behind it but yeah, it's just not the same, you know. Like I have this irrational connection to this series that I played as a kid, and I I, I want to see didn't, you on a box art Armored Core Six or we, whatever they end uh, up calling it.
3: Then we get some sort of sort of confirmation that um, FromSoft is making a new Armored Core. No,
0: I, I remember. I remember no, Natsu or someone talking about like a trademark or something like no, that. No, no, no,
1: no, no. I think that's what you're okay. talking about. That one of the developers at FromSoftware put like a, a different image header. That looked yeah. like Oh that's what uh, it was. It was a
0: Twitter image. It looked yeah.
1: like a new armored core like image. But it turns out it was just an old armored core image and he just put it up there because he <laughs> liked it. That's what he said. Like it was not a new image. <laughs> the
0: thirst is there. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but yeah, well, I mean Zaminax Machina how... seems to be doing well on PC, so maybe maybe people are looking. That that would be nice.
0: Right. So I'm yeah. I'm eager to see if that really feels like the Armored Core that I remember, but that's that's just a series that you reminded me of when you said outside of the RPG space. What would I be interested in seeing, Revive, that's been long dormant?
2: That'd be my answer. I think actually changing, changing my answer, uh, realizing if we're going outside of RPGs, but also having RPG elements uh, would be a new proper Dead Rising game. I would, I would cry and be all over that. I love Dead Rising. Hey, Capcom's in a good spot right now.
0: <laughs> yep, so please. Um, Not to put you on the spot, but Adam, did you have an answer for a game that you'd like well, to Well, I sort of answered
1: before. Um. So I kind of say that I want a new Suikoden game, but like I don't trust Konami to like do it justice anymore. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Do they even make games anymore? <laughs> they make Rhythm games. <laughs> uh, but so we have Armored Car, Capcom Suikoden. Games, oh, Capcom, I guess. Breath of Fire, you know?
3: I was just thinking about that. It's like, it's been a while. Like, Wasn't the last number Breath of Fire game a mobile game?
1: Yes, or a browser game. Yeah. Uh so I think for me,
2: this is what's so exciting about being a gaming journalist, or even just a gamer in general, is that you've got all these franchises that are like, Okay, so we know we're getting a new Final Fantasy, we know we're getting uh new Zelda, we know we're getting this, but then in the back of your mind you're always thinking, Oh, I can't wait to see the return of this and then you forget about it and then it actually happens and yeah. yeah, it's just this crazy cycle of games coming out. Well, it's never boring.
1: It's a, I forgot to mention this earlier, but with Neo, people sometimes forget that that was like announced like early in the PS3's life.
3: It was the first game announced for the PS3.
1: And then like it just never showed up again in for like 5 or 6 years or something like that. Uh and then randomly showed up at like TGS once like now it's coming to PS4. It's like, wow, this game still exists.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So
3: it's yeah. probably way different uh, than what it was originally. There hasn't
2: yet. been
0: a mainline uh, Elder Scrolls game in eight and a half years. I'm gonna call that dormant. Well,
3: but we uh, know that Elder. Scrolls I know not, right. a, that that doesn't fit the. That's not niche, question, that's not, not niche.
0: I'm
2: just, just eagerly awaiting it. it is and, is and, as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Skyrim. Skyrim just released in 2017 or 18 for Switch. So there you go. But anyway, that's that's something I just wanted to bring in because I was just thinking about what games have, has it been a while? a Series that's been a while since I visited because I played that in 2011, so it feels like it's been dormant, though it really hasn't
2: because I just haven't followed up on the um, re-releases or anything like that. We we could definitely do this like for hours. Like there there, my head is racing with games I haven't seen for a while. And when we finish this podcast, I'm just going to be sat there, being like, oh, is there any information sat about a no. new Sly Cooper <laughs> <There> or? <you go. laughs>
3: Slide Cooper 4 I still need to play. I, I love slide one and two and I'm halfway through three. I need to finish three, but I own four. I, I hear middling opinions about that one.
2: Yeah, it
1: probably it felt, deserves it that. It's faithful, like... that. It felt
0: faithful but also kinda safe. So it's kinda like used to love it when I was a kid. Kind of
2: spot. I was like fourteen, but I, I remember just sitting down playing it until I finished it. Um now looking back, like I could probably definitely prefer the original trilogy, but that's how it goes, isn't it?
0: Well, this year we should be seeing more news eventually about Tales of Arise, about uh, you know, Elden Ring, others that, yeah, Elden Ring, and so some of these that we know we're going to be seeing more information on. Obviously, Baldur's Gate within a month uh, has been a long dormant series, so I'm uh, sure we'll hear it, whatever
3: yeah. in, intelligence Systems has been working on because like we talked about last week, like Koei Tecmo is the main like oh. Oh, force we never behind. brought up
0: Advance Wars, but I know that's going to yeah. be on some people's lists. Final Fantasy uh, tactics,
3: it's probably going to be list. a paper Mario, probably going to be a paper Mario that they do, but we can hope we can dream
0: <laughs> and we can hope it's a certain style of paper Mario and not another.
3: Certain we can style. hope it's an actual RPG, I, yeah. All
0: right, but so, yeah. so some of these may not be as wishful thinking as others, which might be a little bit more, uh, up to you know a low chance of a developer feeling like they want to revisit Breath of Fire. I don't know how likely that is. But that wraps up kind of the podcast for this week. So we had a lot of different news items. You know, it's been a slower month, but we've had plenty of stuff to go into with Fire and a lot of stuff we're looking forward to, like uh, Final Fantasy. And from this point forward, it should be ramping, I think, pretty continuously. It feels like just looking at how the schedule is slated and what's coming. Yeah, Yeah, I'll stop introducing the podcast, talking about how slow it is, and then undermining it by how much we have to talk about instead we're just going to go straight in go barreling through about what's all coming out because obviously this generation is going to go out with a bang it really seems like and we'll just roll right into the next one with all the new projects that are going to cross over and then obviously we're at we're at the point now where things are being definitively announced for the next consoles like that outriders game and things like that i don't think we're going to cover that here but i think there's just there's stuff that you know we're going to be seeing within the next month more titles that are clearly marked as for ps5 We'll have our own entity for that on the site and things like that for the new Xbox. So it's an exciting period and we're gonna have a lot to talk about. So uh, as always, you can find us at RPGsite.net. We've got new previews for Fantasy Star Online Beta for the Snack World Review. Josh put up some interesting stuff talking about the RPG mode in Blue Fantasy.
3: Uh, even though I have no book. experience with the uh, series, I did put up a small preview and, more importantly, some footage of uh, Landgrincer One and Two uh, remake from um, from when I was over at NIS America again a few weeks ago. That's just what at this yeah, point. Yeah,
0: and, and we and you uh, you've also put a few uh, gameplay snippets on our YouTube channel, and I think a few more are going to be coming up. We're going to try to tr- use that a bit more actively. So to segue, you can find us. I am on YouTube, working uh, YouTube on a. Net.
3: I'm working on a video review for Hero Mustang.
0: All right, which we talked about last week. You can find us on Twitter at RPG site. You can find our Discord uh, from our main page on our website. Uh, you can find me at Zomasica, Z-E-O-M-A-S-S-I-C-O-T. Right now I'm playing through the Fire Emblem DLC and sharing a few images.
2: Uh, George, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me at, at GPUGG. G-Pug, um, I mostly just retweet. Uh, random gaming content. That's perfectly fine. There you go. And uh, Adam, where can they find you?
0: Uh, K-I-N-G underscore S-E-D-A. A and James.
3: You can find me at the suite at T-H-E-S-W-W-E-E-T.
0: And as always, we invite any sort of comments and feedbacks about the podcast, about the previews we put up, even the news pieces, what you're excited for, even what you're not. We're always happy to see those. So until next time, we'll talk to you then. See ya. Bye, everyone. Thanks for
4: listening.